Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 75 and the start of our Path of Daggers. I am your host Mo and I'm joined as always by my fashion obsessed friends, Vili. The Path of Daggers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Jody. Uh, buongiorno, Pepe. <laughs> you could have gone the path of daggers and then we could have seen like it all went in line but he's not good at impromptu no. what's it called i wasn't even Improv- listening to what you guys were saying improvising <laughs> <laughs> um can you guys tear your minds away from silks lace and the cut of your favorite riding dress so we can set the scene for book eight of the wheel please of time. do Please tear my mind it's away be hard. from all those words. <laughs> Look, I am folding my arms beneath my breasts. <laughs> he really is. But I shall unfold them now. <laughs> I wouldn't want to distract you guys. <laughs> I'm going to step into the cliche trap as well because uh, the story I've told many times on this podcast is my first interaction with this book at Plet Rage. You know, like your end of school oh. party and... I bought in a bookstore right next to the bottle store where we bought cases and cases of beer and hard liquor. And as everyone went to go party, I went to the room to go read quickly. Um, so this book for me is always reminiscent of Plittenberg Bay, end of school, partying. Ned. Yeah, guilty as charged. I also feel, and we have said this before, that for me personally, this is the start of the slog. Hmm? Mm. The slug. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard of it. I'm aware <laughs> you? of the slug You're of familiar? which you speak. Yes. Um, but I don't recall the only book I ever have in my vague, <laughs> patchy memories of reading uh-huh. is book 10, Being a Slog. I, yes. I don't remember a series of books, but 10 was hard for me. Look, this was the first one that I had to wait for. Like I said in the last episode, ah. when um, I, I read all the way through to the end of uh, Crown of Swords and everything was there at my fingertips. And then I waited for, it was more than a year for this book. So I was super excited to the extent that I put my social life aside, right? And stopped, <laughs> didn't yes. even start partying to go read this because I was so excited about it. And I mean, it was going to be hard for any book to sort of live up to the expectations, right? So it was always, they had the odds stacked against it. I remember even seeing it the first time. It is uh, significantly smaller than most of the books in the series, right? It's, it's actually I quite a narrow... I wanted to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. So even when you see it, you're like, oh, finally I've got this book. Oh, why is it so small? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's only fantasy readers that think that. Like other people are like, oh, that's a small book. I'm, I'm glad. And then you're like, oh. Yes. <laughs> it's that's only it 700 like- pages. Oh immediately I felt a very small but some sense of disappointment right and then yeah mm. like uh, like I said this to me I I, I, re- I remember this being part of the slog so we will see now mm. whether that holds true or not for all the reasons that we've you know spewed forth here ad nauseum um <laughs> what I can say since we're only covering two chapters tonight I I actually really enjoyed this like there's a lot of cool lore and stuff buried in just this introduction um yeah and the second half of it is actually pretty fucking great with the hindsight of the whole series obviously the, all the Varen stuff you know like knowing what you know about Varen now reading the mm. section about Varen was really really interesting um so let's get to it i guess we don't want to yep. dilly dally anymore so let's yep. dive then face first into everyone's favorite section called callbacks So, 
In our last episode, the Crown of Swords finale, I got so caught up in finale talk, I didn't do any of our plugs for <laughs> for getting in touch with us or anything like that. Oh, I know right. that's that's why everyone arrives, right? That's why everyone's yeah. here to hear me blather on about our Twitter handle and email address. We spoke about how long it's taken us to get halfway through the series. I think we all sort of were talking about two and a half years, so it should take us about five years to do the whole thing. Vili, your guess exactly was two years, five months, and 23 days that you just sort of pulled out of thin air. We were so wrong. It's been three and a half years. What? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We've been doing this for a whole year longer than we thought. That means this is going to be a seven-year project, not a five-year. Wow, we we really mapped that. (laughs) We can't remember yes. dates. We can't remember math. We're real fathers now. We're dads. Yeah, and notoriously bad with dates, I am. Uh, unless, of course, I've now in the callbacks done the maths wrong. So, everybody, oh. when did we start this? June of 2020? Yeah, it was COVID, COVID time shortly after the start of COVID. 2020, yes. It so, if it's the end sure. of 2023, it's got to be three and a half years. Look at that. Then... We were talking about when did book nine, Vili's first Wheel of Time book being Winter's Heart, was published in the year 2000. Uh, I bought Path of Daggers in December of 1998, my last year of school. We'll never forget that one. Um, I also referenced a movie called The Fog after I think maybe, oh, I'm going to drop Gerald in the shit here now. I think Gerald or someone else <laughs> made a reference to to The Fog. Um, when I spoke about the right intent attack and all this sort of the, you know, all the stuff that happened with that mm-hmm. fog, but I was I had it confused with a movie called The Mist. You know, you ah. can understand the confusion, right? No, we will not forgive no. you, Moritz. No, that's <laughs> the... Oh, shit, sorry. damn. You, I thought I could get away with that one. No, that song. <laughs> that song. <laughs> Two wise ones have named it that song now, so sorry. Oh, I guess it's I'll official. name myself. <laughs> um, that was the one in which there were huge creatures inside the mist. I don't know if you remember that movie at all, Joan. Like there's- I do. I think that the ending. Okay, I won't spoil them. The mist. Everybody go watch the mist. It's pretty cool. No. I was got a cool watch, ending. I was thinking about this very movie probably last week because of what you said. Um, mm-hmm. And our, that ending is some of, one of the most hectic endings in any movie. It is. Hey, yeah, it yeah. got me. It was good. You. Then we were talking, Vili, about Alviaran's motives for confronting Elida with the Dumas Wells news. You were saying, you know, like. Um, Alviaran might be thinking, shit, I better get this out before news gets out because I could get dragged down with uh, Elida, much like Leanne did with Swan. I went hunting around. I cannot find a single reason why Leanne was also stilled with Swan. Like they just assumed that she was in with it, um, that she was in with the the whole plan with Moran and Swan, which she obviously wasn't. Um, but back to Alviaran, five Arjas had already told Alviaran about Rand and his disappearance. So it's already quite known, if only at high level. So the Arja heads, you know, the recipients of the Eyes and Ears news, but five Arjas had brought Alviaran the news about the stuff that had gone down with Rand. Yeah. And Elida was still in the dark. So it's actually kind of known already. Um, she initially thinks she may be in trouble if Elida figures out that the other Arjas had already brought the news to the tower and Alviaran had held out on her. But then she thinks to herself that she is safe thanks to the hold she now has over Elida and because of Masana's patronage, which, Jody, you called out in the previous episode, is not probably as great a protection or a blessing as you might think it is. No. <laughs> you don't want to be on their radar. No. 
Uh, but then she thinks to herself, um, Elida is finished, that she will suffer the same fate as Swan, but Alviaran does not feel threatened by this eventuality at all. In fact, Alviaran at this point even thinks that she will wear the stole and the stole of the Amaralyn herself at some point. Um, and then, like I said, can't find any reference to why Leanne was also stilled. She was sent out of the room in the Great Hunt when Rand meets with Swan. Remember, um, Varen is there, Varen, Moraine, and Swan. She sends Leanne out of the room. So Leanne, at that point, knows nothing. Um, and during their escape from the tower, um, she gets cross with Swan. And she asks her, you still intend to support this dragon? Like with ellipses and italics, you know, like mm. she she's really put out by this. So I think it was just that she got swept up in the whole thing, probably purely because she was sitting in the room outside of Swan's office. So, you know, they came in, they killed Elric right outside of Swan's office, her warder, and Leanne was mm. sitting there and they just, they just, bound her when swan sees her she's bound with air she's shielded mm. they just throw her in the cells they still her with swan they just absolutely had nothing to go on uh, and just still do yo wrong place at the wrong time eh yeah quite <laughs> um and then vil you you mentioned that the keeper is supposed to probably be like some kind of balance to the amaran just to keep her power in check um and i think that function is primarily uh executed by the hall right it's always the amelin versus the hall like you have mm. in you know american politics you've got you know parliament and and the president and then whoever else is a third oh, the <laughs> supreme court that's the third leg and um, they're all supposed to keep each other in balance i think it's congress but, not parliament for the <laughs> sorry the i come from a republic yes it's a senate see politics got it let's not dive Science. into that but Magic. yes burn marks it's the hall that is um, that is supposed to keep the balance okay. in check. Mm. Then we asked, so when David Hanlon goes back to the palace in Camelon to work as a guard called Doylan Miller, did nobody recognize him? No. Magic. I guess not. My note here says we didn't really talk about this, but we need to keep our eyes open and like, see if any of the other guards or like anyone else, you know, because he was oh. there. He was prominent. Uh, but yeah, no one says anything that I can remember, and that means nothing. Unless it's really good in disguises. Like, not everyone is as bad as Nynaeve. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the taped like, moustache. <laughs> <laughs> no one can recognize me. <laughs> um, then we had a robust discussion about Matt's medallion and uh, the effect of Sidin on the medallion. Uh, we should know that Sidin doesn't work on Matt's Foxhead medallion because Halima tried to chan- channel at him in Saladar and she oh, looked at him yes. with a face of shock yes, when it went really cold. Mm. Okay. Um, so we know that. And then I also wanted to add in that I believe it would, in fact, nullify Balefire, that Balefire would not be able to do anything against Matt because, if you recall, and you probably don't, later in the series, like very much towards the end, could even be Memory of Light, I don't remember where, Perrin is in the wolf dream with Egwene and someone shoots Balefire at them and Perrin just changes the direction of the Balefire. And when Egwene looks at him like, how the fuck did you do that? He looks at her and he goes, it's just a weave. You know, like, Mm. he just plays it down and he just altered the reality in which the weave went in a different direction. So, I mean, I I believe any weave channeled at Matt Mm. would dissipate and therefore Balefire would not be able to hit him or the It's not an object. It is still... It is a magic beam that has to be made of little magic things. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's my magic string theory. Gotcha. Yeah. Then the bargain between Nynaeve, Elaine, Merrill, and the Seafolk. 
comes up a lot. So let's mm. just lay it all out there. Mm. This is exactly right. what it was. The Atha and Mir agree to give Elaine and Nynaeve the assistance of their windfinders in using the bowl of the winds to correct the world's weather. Cool. First task completed for Nynaeve and Co., right? That's exactly what they wanted. They haven't then, done it yet. No, no, at this point they haven't. Yeah. But it's been mentioned in the previous book and now, so I just want to make sure we're all on the same page because there's a lot of chapters actually coming up beyond this episode in which they're just riding along and shooting daggers at each other and they just... Everyone's all, yeah, all got their feathers ruffled about this deal. So the second part of it is that the Atha and Mir agreed to let the Aes Sedai use their most powerful wind finders instead of the ones uh, of highest ranking, which is why you see the two little novices, the little trainee wind finders also tagging along. Matt notices them and says they have yeah. no business being with these guys, but they're obviously strong in the power. So that's why they've come mm-hmm. along. The Aes Sedai agreed to provide 20 teachers to the Windfinders to enhance their knowledge of the power, and these 20 will be unable to leave unless replaced by others. So this is 20 Aes Sedai going to the Seafolk. Yeah. And there will always be 20 of them there. Like, there can't be 19, and there has to be 21 before there can be 20 again. You know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> Maritz has worked out the minutiae of the plan. <laughs> we all, you know, like the pedantry <laughs> runs strong. I'm making less like yeah, that. This is great yeah, stuff. Like... Wow. <laughs> I take notes. notes during the recording. <laughs> okay, then part four of the deal. The Aes Sedai agree to let the channelers of the Atha and Mir come to the tower whenever they wish, learn whatever they wish, and leave whenever they wish. Ooh. That doesn't seem fair. That's no, like right with the enrollment tuition costs that's got to be paid. Merrill and Co. do not enjoy this aspect of it, and it comes up in the chapters after this after this episode. Um, and then the final part, part five of this deal, is after the use of um, the Bowl of the Winds, Renel Dincalon claims the Bowl of the Winds as part of the bargain between the Sea Folk and the Aes Sedai. So now after they use it to fix the weather, the Windfinders take it. So <laughs> pretty shitty deal. Pretty shitty Yowza. deal from Nynaeve. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, ma- no, no wonder Matt was mm-hmm. so he struck commenty. Home about mm-hmm. the deal that was really a terrible deal but the best thing is he had no idea what the deal was he just mm. took a gamble and he hit the mark because <laughs> Nine was like oh shit yeah <laughs> not bad shooting in the dark um yeah. then the bilge is in fact the very bottom of the boat a position where ballast is often placed for stability so a bilge stone would be ballast mm. isn't jack donaghy's uh Cologne made from the bilge water of Rupert Murdoch's yacht. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great line. If you haven't watched 30 Rock People, go watch 30 Rock. Oh my God, that's great. Yeah, that's nonstop quality. Then, according to the Wheel of Time timeline, the one that we reference all the time, Samuel is killed two days after the wall falls on Matt. I've got another timeline issue coming up in my chapter, but we'll get to that. Two days? Hmm. Hmm. Because right. Rand is, yeah, I was going to say Rand is is knocked out for two days, but that's before he goes to kill Samuel. But anyway, Indeed. that's yeah. that's what <laughs> okay. this, this trustworthy timeline of ours that we keep going to um, has has stated. Yeah, the eight days feel a little short now that I, I reflect on all the comings and goings of this book, uh, the previous one. Well, there is actually, there are numerous mentions, we're going back to the, I mean, this is callback, so this is the place to do it, but um, there are yeah. mentions of like 
earlier this morning when they returned from the Rahad and that sort of stuff, like a lot of the stuff is happening really, really quickly. Like, you know, it's mm. um, also the, what is it? The festival of the feast, of the birds or the festival of the birds. And then the festival of the embers yeah. and stuff. There are days in a row and each day, yeah. you know, that the action sort of went down um, is following straight on, on the previous. So even in the beginning of this book, like these chapters we're reading now, and then for a few chapters on, it's also like immediately after, like we still read in chapters coming up that we haven't covered yet, even in tonight's episode, uh, how they're busy loading up the wagons and getting ready mm. to depart from the Tarazan Palace. You know, the Sean Chan yeah. have already attacked and Matt's there, but there's no mention of these guys sensing channeling, seeing Toreken in the air yet or anything. So even in this book, it's still like right then. Yeah, the, we haven't skipped a beat in terms of moving forward with the Matt, no. that scene right there. It's effectively... That's a book on its own, and the story's just running in. There wasn't an end there mm-hmm. yet. No, not at all. Um, so all of that is to say, like with this timeline stuff, that um, I, I do think that the, I was talking, and I don't know if maybe I was unclear. It seemed unclear to me when I was listening back to the episode that the storm that Nineveh sense is coming. I was saying is most most likely the um, Sean Chan, as we read in these chapters mm-hmm. now as well. And the um, the dice rattling in Matt's head mm. are related to the Sean Chan arriving, but it's not because of the Sean Chan arriving necessarily. It's Matt getting trapped in Ibudar so that he is there when Tuon arrives so that they can meet. I think a lot of the dice rattling is about Matt either staying in Ibudar or getting out in time, which obviously he doesn't. Um, then, Vil, I couldn't find a reference to, you know, Tharava, the wise one that yes. has her, has it in for Galena. Where did you read about her running after Galena? Because you sort of made the connection that maybe she used to be a maiden that she was sort of going after her. Because I went back and I read all those chapters and there, there wasn't anything about her personally or physically. She physically after. captured her. It says, and, okay. and her just, I took her by the arm. It was her when she has a confrontation with Savannah about it, making her um, um, that song. She okay. then I'll says, go look at it again because I did yeah, go read it. Yeah, have a look. It was I've, because I was pretty, pretty certain. Double checked as well. Like she was upset because it was her ownership, and it's a high society shame to claim. You know, like she was going to put her in white silk. Yes, what I did find is that she says to Savannah that she took her. It didn't say anything of like by the arm or anything like that, which could mean a couple of different things. Um, But I mean, that's how Gaishen are taken, right? By being touched instead of stabbed with a weapon. Therava, though, being a wise one, wouldn't even have had a weapon and maybe uses some kind of wise one influence to also take some Gaishen. Because I don't know if Gaishen are necessarily the Gaishen of the warrior that took them, mm. or if they get clubbed together with all the guy Shane that were taken in that battle and then are dispersed, in which case the wise ones might go, okay, I'll take this one, I'll take that one. And it sounds them like around. something they- the uh, ill um, group you should know. Should maybe put a pin in that, find out. No, I mean, the, the wise ones always have guy Shane in the tents, like in all the scenes. Yes. So, I mean, they, yes. They, they're not warriors, so they must be getting their guy Shane somewhere. From somewhere. I suppose you, there's much uh, G. In, in donating your guy Shane to a wise one or something. Probably, probably. There's also talk of like how unnatural it is to have as many guy Shane as it is that uh, I think Savannah has at some point. Mm. And, 
you know, if you're a really good warrior, you'd probably also be racking up a little mini army of Gaishain as well if you're, you know, regularly fighting in clan battles and stuff. And, and touching it depends people on the arm. if you're touching people on the arm, stabbing them in the heart. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry, dude, I have to stab you in the heart. I've got too many Gaishain at home. I would take you, but I, just, <laughs> yeah. I have to kill you. We'll just we'll recycle this one. The quote. Um, <laughs> maybe, that is, maybe that's a really good system if you think about it. Like, instead of killing all the warrior men and women out, and eventually there's no warrior blood left. So, like, ooh, he's fighting really well. I should capture him. Maybe we could turn him in a year and a day. And all the time, uh. they never learn. Sometimes they turn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Those are are stubborn, if nothing else. Well, you never know. They'd, water feuds have been solved with love and love tangles and triangles and shit. Have they? I don't know. I'm just making <laughs> shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, another thing I thought, Vil, is like maybe because when we last saw Galena before she was taken by the by the Shido, was you remember immediately after the events of Dumai's Wells and Galad spots an Isodai with a fallen mm. horse, and then he tries to get there, but they're attacked by a bunch of Shido before he can get to her, and then when and she's, she's gone. gone. Now she's she's an Isodai. Maybe Therava is the one that shielded her so she could be captured by the Shido that actually take her. You know, so maybe that's another way in which a wise one can quote unquote take. Um, mm. Because, I mean, yeah, Galena maybe. would have just been ripping Shido to pieces with fireballs mm. and stuff. They'd need a wise one to shield her to be able to capture her. Well, that's, anyway. that, was, uh, that was what I was going to say. Like, I mean, in the capturing of an Aes Sedai, it wasn't the physical rundown and tackle to the ground because no, this yeah. woman would be Unlikely. throwing fireballs. So you yes. need to be able to manage her. Yes. Then, in today's episode, we'll read about an Isodai called Beldine. In the previous episode, I said that she was one. Uh, she was the one that tortured Rand. That was sort of we were debating about whether she felt felt bad about it or not. It wasn't her. That was another Isodai called Arian. Beldine was part of that group, though. We'll get to that when we read about Varen. Um. Then Galena had helped break two Amelins, twice helped them turn the most powerful woman in the world into a squealing wretch eager to tell all she knew. I think this is what threw me off because I went back and I read it again and I think it's pretty clear that it is Swan she's talking about. Mm. But I can't imagine Swan as a squealing wretch eager to tell all she knew. But then again, this is from Galena's point of view. Point of so perspective. This is, mm. this is her little narrative that she's told herself, right? The other one, by the way, was Tamara Ospenia, the Amelin seat when Rand was born and Guitara had the foretelling. That's the other Amelin mm-hmm. that um, Galena had also broken and I think actually staged her murder as a suicide or something. Then we asked whether Savannah was, or Thurava or anyone was heading back towards the waste. Um, they were still planning on plundering the wetlands and stuff. So they hadn't planned to return to the Waste yet. So this rendezvous in Kinslayer's Dagger was just to regroup. Um, I think Savannah is too hell-bent on capturing Rand and making him her pet and marrying him and all that nonsense. Um, mm. But Therava and Savannah are often at odds. And eventually when we do read the last of Galena's um, points of view or anything, it is after Perrin has freed Fahil and Therava takes Galena and the Shido and she goes back to the Waste with with them because she then does go no fuck this wetland nonsense we're going back to the <laughs> yeah because i'm just looking at it on the map now and yeah just north of kyrian they they can't just leave those tree killers unpunished <laughs> and go back they, 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 much, they gotta take some too much at stake. They, we're right here we gotta regroup and go south again i imagine is their plan 
That's right. At this stage, yeah. It's just occurred to me that, you know, in society mm. that is strictly governed by the law that governs Ail, um, mm-hmm. you have to think Gee, about that there's bad apples in there that adhere yes. to the law, but quietly they plot for years and years. Like one day yeah. something will happen and I will have my window. We have a lot of those people coming out of the woodwork, like the savannas, mm-hmm. and like just that little gap is what they needed to sprout Even dark the friends. evil. Yeah. So as everyone's as waiting as I hate for their to window. admit it, there are Aeol dark friends, which mm-hmm. sucks. <laughs> mm. Shadow runners, or what do they call them? Yeah. You know, all dark friends are shadow runners. So yes, the it's not just a, a, a ill yeah. shadow runner, it would be like, probably called a Datsang runner or something. <laughs> Speaking of uh, unpronounceable Aiel slang, we spoke about Merrick and the Shido and what were the brotherless called? And we sort of rattled off some mm. of the Siswayaman namings and stuff. Yeah. So, first, uh, Merrick was Shido. He led his own sept, the Moshane, as you said, Vili. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually had plans on going to Ruidian to become the Shido clan chief someday, um, if some wise ones would support him. Um, he also led the Shai, uh, the Shido Sayodun, the Black Eyes, the Black Eyes Warrior Society, who remained loyal to the Shido. He led mm. that whole warrior society. Then, Bonnie Doon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then um, we got two of them, right? The Algai de Siswai are the normal Ayil warriors, and that translates to dancers of the spear. The Siswai Aman are the spears of the dragon. The brotherless are called the Meradin. Meridin. Um, yes. So those I were the say non-shadow that as people. If I remembered it, but I didn't. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Meridin. <laughs> it of was course. very convincing. Yes, of course, yes. of course, yes. <laughs> um, then our brief glimpse of Shida Haran, we were sort of joking about like, did he just spend a couple seconds away from Shail Ghul or like did he do something else first? And I, I thought that he might well have been somewhere else before feeling this um Shail Ghul withdrawal, since he was also present when Samurag tortured that Aes Sedai and her warder to death. Yeah. And, you know, that was for much longer than we saw him in this scene. And he didn't seem to show any kind of signs of weakness or fatigue or anything like that. The only mitigation to that point, I would say, is that we were never told where that torture happened. And that could have been much closer to Shailgul than mm. all the way down here. Um, he was still within the five gigahertz range. That's not that far south. No. It's about halfway down the map, right? Mm-hmm. Or even further not north. Not even. It's further no, north third of the way down. Yeah, third of right. the way. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, wow, so his range is bad. The next border is with Shinar, or Shinar, wow. if you prefer. Well, he's got terrible. By range. that logic, it's almost in range of Tarvalon. It is. So, it's so on like the on the boundary parallel. Yes. Mm. We'll call that the five gigahertz range. Okay. <laughs> if we go a little bit further, it's going to be the two point four. <laughs> the the, the China Haran is he five G enabled? Uh, yes, he is. That's why it's evil. <laughs> yes. What's the conspiracy? And, and has COVID. Um, <laughs> the Band of the Red Hand... The nanobots! <laughs> the Band of the Red Hand does, in fact, later introduce an improved crank for loading the crossbows faster. So our half mm. memory is correct. Yes. Um, Deshiva. Deshiva is revealed as a traitor in this very book. It's him, oh Gedwin, and Rokade that attempt to kill Rand, but they fail. And it's only later during the Battle of Shadow Logoth, during the cleansing, that he that it is hinted that he might have been Agenor. That only happens in Winter's Hearts, so only in the next book. So even when he's um, betrayed Rand and turned coat, he um, is not exposed as being a 
fucking Forsaken that's been hanging around everywhere with Min and Rand and everyone. Um, I don't know if we actually discussed this, but the Shadowspawn in Shadow Logoth during the Samal confrontation all arrived via the Waygate. Right? Because, you know, Samal gets there because I forget always that Shadowspawn can't use gateways. They can't travel. Yeah. They die instantly if they go through a gateway. Um, and if you recall, Rand had, when he went to um, Shadow Logoth with Elder Haman and um, Aerith and her mom and Leah, they went missing that whole exercise to go seal up that waygate. I think he's collected like a whole bunch of metal, like power wrought metal or something and encased the gate in that as well. He put all his traps and things in there. And then now when we saw it with the Samal fight, all that metal was just lying strewn about on the ground. Um, so I thought that was a cool little uh, cool little detail that maybe we had oh, wow. missed. I missed that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That is a nice detail. Um, yeah. Okay. So our biggest debate from last time, right? Samal's death. Couple notes. Uh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rand does not. I I misspoke. I said that when Rand brings his beam of balefire from uh, Leah towards Samile, it hits Mashadar, and Mashadar recedes because of that. Um, he does not actually balefire Mashadar between Leah and Samile. He only hits buildings that collapse. Um, but I have a new take on this whole scene. <laughs> Great. Let's hear. Of it. course, I do. <laughs> <laughs> When Rand notices Mashadar descending on Samile, he thinks to himself, Samile was his. But I think that last word in that sentence should have been in italics. I think what was intended there is Rand thinks to himself, Samile was his, not Mashadar's. Like, oh, I, think I don't know if he can quickly insert like, how the holy text should be written. Okay, well, listen to this. So, mm. Samile standing there, oblivious to Rand. Yeah. Mashadar is literally about to hit him. It's like speeding up as it goes down to him. Rand looks at Samal and goes, ah, Samal is his. Doesn't sit there and wait for Mashadar to take two more seconds to hit him. He quickly, before Mashadar can get to Samal, spins up Balefire to unleash yeah. it on him. And that's when Leah shouts. And they look and he Balefires Leah and he looks back and Samal is gone. The reason I bring that up is because I think the, the time between when Mashadar would have hit Samal and Rand would have Balefired him, or you know, the time it took to balefire Leah is infinitesimal. Like it is, didn't he like he, drag he had the to, stream? Like he did, but by the time he got back, Samal was already gone. And his stream didn't actually. It's actually said explicitly, like he only hits buildings and stuff. It, it wasn't in time to actually touch Mashadar. He only balefired Leah. Um, Leah screams, and he balefires instead, and then sweeps it back. Uh, but he lets it go before, and these are the words from the book, the lake of Mashadar that rolled across the square, billowing past the waygate towards rivers of the glowing gray that flowed out from another place on the other side. Samal had to be dead. He had to be. There had been no time for him to run, no time to weave a gateway. So, like, the amount of time is what I'm drawing attention to here, right? Like, oh, Mashadar yeah. was about to be on him, and there was no time for Samal to do anything about it. So I don't think we need a time travel shenanigan mechanic to sort of um, abstractly imply that Mashadar got there even faster. It didn't need to. It was right there already. Well, we don't That's have to, take. but we should. <laughs> and we and did. We have. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but speaking of Leah, she was in Shadow Logoth for two months. Mm -hmm. Holy mother of God. 
She goes missing when Rand goes there with Elder Harmon and blah, blah, blah. And that's a little while ago now. That, like, that actually happened wow. some time ago in a previous book. Um, I misspoke about the male Adam. I called it the Dominion Band, but it is called the Domination Band. Classic. Pedantry. Yeah, pedantry. I'll allow it. Morel's friend who also swears fealty to Egwene is Nassau. Just so we can all file that uh, name away and definitely remember it next time. <laughs> I'll never um, <laughs> and then Renaild, so uh, Bluey that, that Vili uh, mentioned last time, who's sort of speaking for the Windfinders. Uh, her nickname, her like you know title is Blue Star or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Vili ah, named yes. her Bluey. Oh, Bluey, of course. Renaild and Kalon Blue Star or something like that. Um, she's the one that Matt sort of you know had the interaction with, called her you daughter of the sands, and then she tried to cut yeah. him and he took her knife and all that stuff. She is the Windfinder to the mistress of the ships. Yes. She, she is numero uno windfinder among all windfinders, uh, which I did not grok at the time. Um, right. She's like mm-hmm. their uh, Emerlin. Yes. But then the later boss. in the story, Nesta Din Reyes, who is the, mm. um, the mistress of the ships, she is killed. And Renel is demoted to the lowest windfinder rank, just above Apprentice. And she has to work her way all the way back up if she wants to. If she, is that because know, of the bad or, deal? No, she's just linked to the queen. She's linked to Nesta Din Reyes. Okay. And when Nesta Din Reyes dies... She falls as she well. She automatically... She starts from the beginning. Oh, wow. She was her windfinder. Almost like the keeper. A cool little social <laughs> dynamic. Yowza. It's hard, eh? It's a bit harsh. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah. Your 30 years folk, of experience and <laughs> service mean nothing. Yes. Back in the line. <laughs> All right, that brings us to listener contributions and the delivery man, Richard Jackson, followed up on our cat's end points with the following observation. He goes, in the gathering storm, <laughs> he quite usefully puts in here book 12 for us <laughs> idiots that don't know which book is which. In chapter 14, Catsway thinks of Sorrelia as being as strong as her and an equal. She is surprised at this, especially considering Sorrelia's strength in the power. Which, again, solidifies my impression of Kat Swain's original question to Amis. She is surprised to think of Sorrelia as her equal, despite her low strength in the One Power. Which implies that she puts a lot of stock in strength in the One Power, as we do. Yes. As we know, the I said I do. Yeah, she is Mr. Dependable, Ian Yellen sends in the following. We were asking, how do you join a fraternity? Here we go. You can join the American college fraternity system by finding a fraternity you want to be a part of and then become a pledge for it. While a pledge, you are instructed on the beliefs, rules, and practices of the fraternity. During your time as a pledge, the fraternity decides whether they want you or not as well. Historically, this was done through hazing to either try and force you to quit or see if they liked your reactions or determination to do it. And at the end of the process, there's usually a ceremony where they say they want you or not. For those who didn't leave already. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. (laughs) Um, Thanks. Anyway, my guess is that this is how someone joins an IELTS society. I mean, this some logic to that right like you would obviously yeah. choose this i mean for the maidens there are limited options but for the the men you know they would go to a society and probably express their interest and then they would be put through some kind of trials the um the say dune that uh, merrick was the the sort of mm-hmm. society uh, leader for they are they are called black eyes because apparently they specialize in being able to see in low light like at dusk and early morning like that's their specialty mm. they can see really well which is obviously not an actual physiological thing in their bodies but that's what they pride them on they probably train 
you know, for those specific skills. So when you've picked a warrior society, maybe they give you trials like the knife hands, you know, maybe you do have to chop some watermelons with your hands or, you, or Look, stab a fly to a wall squide. with your middle finger. <laughs> I, I don't like that idea. I think it should, there should be a way, way a sorting mechanic. Hat. Like the sorting hat did come to mind. But more that you you've got, you've got a, what was it, oh, uh, the, the, what, Divergent, Terangry. I can't remember that movie's name, where you actually have to go through games and get to get yourself to become into that, like, almost like a running. Maybe the games are slicing watermelons thrown at you in at dusk in low light. <laughs> <laughs> With your bare hands, like knives. It narrows it down. You can either be a, a black eye or a, or a knife hand. The stone dogs are just in the corner hitting bong after bong. <laughs> um, throw stones at dogs. <laughs> and then Ian also says, I remember Deshiva always mumbling to himself off in the corner, so I thought he was already going mad, which explained away his other behavior. And if I remember right, he was killed by the people defending Rand and Nynaeve while cleansing the source, correct? And everyone thought it was kind of odd because they had been attacked by a bunch of Forsaken and a rogue Ashaman. Essentially, they didn't even know he was Forsaken all the way to the end of the book. Um, yeah, we've got that to look forward to in book nine. And that is it for callbacks. So let's quickly draw, I'm going to say the final line under A Crown of Swords by going previously on, but you know there's going to be a callback in a future episode. Someone's going to pick up the Samile death thing mm-hmm. and, and email us in <laughs> yeah. six months' time and we're going to read it. That'll happen. Uh, but Talking let's to draw you, a- Mr. John, on episode seven. <laughs> I'm I'm going to draw a little pencil line then a dotted pencil very faint dotted pencil line under a crown of swords by going one more time through previously on blood and ashes after the chaos of the Rohad and retrieving the ball of the winds Matt and the gang are back at the Tarasin palace armed with Bogita's ancient knowledge Matt is trying to educate everyone just how dangerous a golem can be he tries to convince the windfinders that returned with Nynaeve the kin and the Aes Sedai in attendance that they should leave immediately but nobody is really buying his fantasy Finally exasperated, Matt turns his attention to the Windfinders, drawing on his own ancient memories to deftly maneuver them into agreeing to move with the other women, thanks to a little Taveran influence. Rianne Corley suggests the farm they use to go lay low, and everyone agrees it is a good choice. Before they can depart, Matt realizes Olver is not in the palace and sets off to go look for him while the others prepare to travel to the farm. While he's searching, Matt witnesses the arrival of the Shonchan and is caught up in their attack when a war collapses on him, trapping him in Ibudar for the next two books. Then, we checked in with a couple baddies. Galena is suffering at the hands of Therava, her Shida wise one captor. She is named Datsang by three wise ones, including Savannah, which pisses off Therava, who wanted to parade Galena as a prize guy Shane. Samile and Grandal show up and give the Shida the fake travel boxes, and when they use them, they are scattered between Gildan and Ilion, many getting trampled beneath Rand's advancing army. We get a glimpse of Shida Haran, who is keeping a close eye on Samile and Grandal. And finally, Rand wakes up after two days of convalescence, surrounded by the Aes Sedai, or some Aes Sedai, a wise one, Ashaman, and of course Min. He immediately sends everyone except Min and the Ashaman out of the room. Min tells him that she had a vision of Katswain teaching him and the Ashaman something they would not like learning. Rand asks Min to distract the maidens outside while he and the Ashaman head out to deal with Samile. They travel to Bashir's camp and ready the men and then launch a full-scale attack on Ilion itself. The Ashaman open gateways to the square of Tamaz in Ilion and Rand's forces pour into the city. Rand announces his arrival via one power loudspeaker in an attempt to draw out Samile. The Ashaman start channeling non-specific flows of the one power across the entire city, triggering Samile's traps and wards all at once. Samal does show up after a brief skirmish with Rand, during which Rand injures his heel. Samal goads Rand into following him into Shadow Logoth. 
in the cursed city, Samal has already stationed Trollocs and Fades brought in via the Waygate. Rand encounters some Trollocs and a Fade, which he quickly dispatches with his flame sword. He also encounters the lost maiden Leah, who, when she recognizes Rand, runs off. Samal attacks Rand's vicinity with destructive weaves, forcing Rand into a building at one stage where the floor collapses and Rand looks like he's going to meet an untimely end. But at the last second, a stranger in black pulls Rand up out of the hole he's dangling in. He chastises Rand for putting his own plans in jeopardy and Rand, not knowing this is Morin slash Ishamal, tries to give him advice. Uh, Mashadar shows up and they both channel Balefire instinctively. The beams of Balefire cross with a massive concussive effect for both channelers. Mashadar recedes and they both flee the scene, expecting another attack from Samal after they had channeled in that spot. Moradin gives Rand a clue as to where Samal can be and disappears around a corner. Rand realizes he never felt the man channeling Sidin. Using Moradin's clue, he heads to the waygate and takes up a position in a tall tower. He sees Samal emerge from a building, but he also spots Mashadar descending from a balcony towards Samal. Rand is about to claim the kill for himself with Balefire when he and Samal are both distracted by the scream of Leah, now standing across the square, touched by Mashadar. Rand changes his focus to Leah, Balefiring her in an attempt to spare her a terrible death at the hands of the fog. By the time he looks back to where Samal was standing, he's gone. No time for a gateway, no sense of channeling, just gone. Rand skims back to Ilian, where the Councillor of the Nine crown him King of Ilian. Which brings us now to a brand new book. Book 8, The Path of Daggers. We start... With a prologue called Deceptive Appearances. Whose appearances are deceptive, Jody? Yours. Ah. I'm exhausted. You seem unfazed by that five minutes super rattle off. <laughs> it was. My mouth is quite dry. <laughs> yeah, so I had to talk about something, did I? <laughs> deceptive um, appearances. Oh, yes. Now, oh, yeah. There are, right, there are two. two pretty long and one mini section here joe so i think there's you know there's the black hills there's varin mm. and there's a little moradin section it's going to be weird to go back to the black hills after reading about varin so just take a pause after the black hills and we'll talk about oh, the borderlanders right. and then we'll do varin oh my god do we need to talk about these borderlanders oh more like bored landers <laughs> nice that's good all right like um, that. <laughs> that's a dad joke if there ever was one you're so dad <laughs> You've earned it. So Thank we you. join the Queen of Candor. We haven't heard anything about these Candorans. Candorians? Nope. Candori. Uh, oh, no. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> or the Arafalans. We only really know about the Shinarans. They've been, they've been, and the Saldaeans, of course. Of course. Um, but now we're meeting the rest of them. And we're just going straight. We're not even meeting people that work the fields. We're going straight to the kings and queens. So mm-hmm. we join the Queen of Candor, Ethaniel as I pronounce it, riding mm. through the Black Hills with 50 of her best men. She is with her first counselor, uh, someone by the name of Saraila, just telling you names. Mm-hmm. And she asks her uh, if she's made the right choice. She's starting to second guess herself. Really? The queen? Anyway. Um, they've got some big plan. No one's going to like it. And they have to be super secret. We'll find out as we go along what's happening. She thinks to herself that if the White Tower like, would not do or could not do what, what must be done, then someone must. So they're taking matters into their own hands. And uh, yeah, there's no use in them guarding the Blight while the rest of the world succumbs to absolute chaos. So they're taking some, some steps of their own. So they've been moving in secret along with the rulers of the other three Borderlanders uh, to a secret meeting. So we've got everybody. We've got some old faces popping in later. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's lucky that she didn't have to murder innocent villagers who may have accidentally seen her along the way. 
So they've made great efforts to go around those villages to avoid like, the murdering, of course. Uh, and also White Tower spies. Um, they're worried that news is going to get... Well, she is worried that news is going to get back to the White Tower about what they're, what they're up to up here behind everyone's back. And I'm thinking, you, you skipped all those villages because you thought they were White Tower spies. Nobody even mentions the Dark Friend spies. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought you guys don't know, and then just another si- another sign that people don't realize how many dark friends there really are and where they in total are. denial, hey? Yeah, like they only think, oh, in those villages there would have been white tower spies, not dark friends. Mm-hmm. You didn't think about that, mm-hmm. anyway. Your own problem. There's enough. I suppose they've got enough dark friends, you know, that they fight in the blight every day, like <laughs> in your face, dark friends. To worry about those <laughs> ones at home. Yes. Riding with her is. Is Lord Bald here, her mm-hmm. sword bearer? He's got some grotesque-looking bejeweled scabbarded sword that he carries with. That's that's the Queen's sword, but he carries it for her. I suppose it's a borderland thing. So he's asking, she's asking him the same thing again. Like, just did I have? Are we doing the right thing? And he uh, is just not stoked that he has to hide who he is. Uh, he doesn't give a fuck. He just <laughs> he just he says like, yeah, like everyone's going to find out about us soon enough. Uh, like someone's going to notice us eventually. Just tell me who to stab. I don't care about this. So finally, they reach the meeting point. Um, it is described as a shallow bowl in the ground, not big enough to be called a valley. And there's this like spire that's sticking out. That's like this thing from the Age of mm. Legends. And there's all these things about it. Am I? Are we all thinking the radar dish, right? Yep. That's what um, Well, it's not. It's from the Age of Legends, apparently. Not from pre-Age yes. of Legends. So it could be... Be anything. I mean, the Age of Legends. Well, I mean, like they think it's the Age and... of Legend. Yeah, but they could have had. They could have been using the One Power to search the universe or other worlds, which they have or found. A meteor strike. Like, it's very one similar to. But a meteor yeah, strike or... would not have a tower in the inside of the dome-shaped valley. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a bowl, and then it's got the spire, the middle spire uh, of the. I yeah. see what you're saying. All right. I Was missed it completely. No, no, no. Just, no you that's what just, I think it just is. said Goldeneye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goldeneye. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know that that's when Goldeneye broke down hey. and the, the, the thing, the whole eye is now snapped and crashed through the whole thing. It's now finished, broken. I, I did not draw the connection between the spire and the shape of the, the bowl-shaped valley itself at all. Right over my head. But now I'm firmly in radar dish. (laughs) Camp radar dish. It's a radar dish, man. Surely in the Age of Legends they had that. And if not, if it was from an earlier age, the people there are just, what the fuck do they know? Like the the current day people. Yeah. They don't realize it. It's from the Age of Legends. End of story. Mm. And the fact that it's made into the ground makes sense. Like it's this massive, Mm. a very big array. Not an array. It's a single one. But... Maybe mm, there's yeah. more interesting signs they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I liked I liked this this little um, nod. Mm. Me too. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so there you go. If you were not on board, you you now are. Hundred percent. Um, this is where in the bowl. This is their meeting spot. This is where they encounter Pytar Nachi Man, SCR Tugita. Uh, the kings of Arafel and Shinar, because we never met the king of, of Shinar before. Nope. Right? We just all met old Lord Agalmar Jagard, who is here. Mm-hmm. Everybody, mm-hmm. he's back. So, yeah, each of these two kings has their attendants. Paytar's brought Ishigari Terasian, 
and Kirill Shianari and Iasar, <laughs> I can't do this dude, <laughs> has bought Lord Agelmar. All right. In the in the book, he's just described as Agelmar Jagad, but I'm like, whoa, 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 that's Lord Agelmar to you. Excuse me. <laughs> yes. Well, it's from a queen's point of view. I don't care. It's Lord. He's still a <laughs> she Lord. Don't, she don't care neither. <laughs> no, apparently not. She describes him when she's looking over everybody. She describes Agelmar as sudden death waiting to be unleashed. Love it. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, and Alison Chulin. I don't know who this person is. I don't know if it's a man, if it's a woman. <laughs> There's a lot of people here, right? Plus, everybody brought 50,000 50, of their best men. Like, it's, 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 it's massive. So, Ethaniel asks if they have managed to come this far without being, uh, you know, detected and nobody saw you. Uh, SCR is just like, well, you know, if we've been seen, <laughs> might as well turn back now. So, yeah, we, we made pretty sure that we weren't spotted along the way. Um, the fourth borderland ruler, Tenobia, you may you may recognize her, mm-hmm. of Seldea, then sneaks up behind them to make a flamboyant entrance to inform them <laughs> that she will not turn back until Davram Bashir and this Rand Elthor learn who really rules Seldea. She is on a mission. And I like because she's young and yeah. <laughs> when she comes in, she's late, like fashionably late, mm-hmm. rears her horse like a horse is up on its hind <laughs> Drama legs. Drama queen. Like... Just a real drama queen. I'm here, everyone. Be amazed. All right. So she's got like, listen, I brought my 50,000 men. I'm going to use them. You guys want to turn back? If someone saw you, go for it. I am. I've got to go talk to my uncle. She mm-hmm. only has one attendant with her. Another uncle. Cal Yan Ramson. These names. Um, yeah, <laughs> I figure she's names. got a lot of uncles. <laughs> yeah, she's got just tons of uncles because they all just they say everywhere. That. Yeah. Uncles everywhere. Yeah. So, SER and Petar assure Tenobia that they, too, you know, they do not want to run away. Um, and then, like, Ethaniel, she's, this is her point of, our point of view character, just starts daydreaming about the strange nature of Seldans. She goes off on a little tangent. We should get her on the, on the show with us. Everyone <laughs> thinks Seldans are weird, apparently, because she's like, <laughs> these Seldans are right. very, Seldans. very honest. Yeah. It's... We yeah. we started thinking that with the interactions between Perrin and Fael. Totally. Uh, it got weirder when an army rocked up with all of their wives, and there's a lot of payment to be made for the fact that they were left out of the battle. Like, yes. they're dodgy people. Like, we should maybe keep tabs <laughs> on them. Like, Davram is cool and all, but like, maybe we should take him with a pinch of salt and actually just uh, unseason well, his advice. Yeah. Listen, I mean, if if the Kandorans or Kandori uh, are also Kandori. thinking, Jesus, these <laughs> these Saldeans are weird. Like other Borderlanders think they're weird. So this <laughs> yes. is, to me is like, wow, okay. Well, they certainly have a flair for the dramatic. Think of Fayul, think of Davram Bashir. Time for punch <laughs> before battle. <laughs> <laughs> think of Ethaniel's entrance not 30 seconds ago. Tenobia. Yes. Oh, sorry, Tenobia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ethaniel is who we're with. She's she's yes. daydreaming about these weird Saldans, and uh, she's also thinking about Tenobia. Like, oh, she's young. She's got a temper on her. Like, what's new? Every, all of them of do. Uh, you know what? She needs to be married, but not to one of my sons. <laughs> she realizes, like, <laughs> this woman needs to be married, but not into my family. Last thing I'll do. And like, oh, well, well, then I guess she'll just die a maiden uh, and forgets about it. She tunes back into the conversation later on when, when she hears somebody mention I Sedai. It's like, yeah, we, the guys we're trying to avoid. 
Uh, and uh, she's like, look, if Aes Sedai have gained a hint of their plan, well, you know, we're in shit. But then again, Aes Sedai have plans of their own. She's super worried about these Aes Sedai. Um, and it seems that uh, Petar has brought along his Aes Sedai advisor, yes. Koladara. <laughs> she's like, what? We try to keep the secret from the tower. And he goes, oh, by the way, Koladara had seven other Aes Sedai visiting. <laughs> so I brought them too. They got a circle. <laughs> They're ready. <laughs> yeah. like, you brought eight Aes Sedai? Uh, and he's like, yeah, I thought it would be like the good thing to do. The prudent thing to do under the circumstances to bring them. Ethanil is just blown away by this moron. <laughs> like eight Aes Sedai? <laughs> then surely the White Tower knows everything that they've intended. Like the, the cat's out of the bag. You thought <laughs> that, you know, earlier that we might have been spotted? We have. Uh, as oh. if that's not uh, bad enough. Tenobia <laughs> announces yes. that she's also brought five Aes Sedai. Who <laughs> <laughs> she ran into before leaving Saldea. So she's like, Ethanil's like, you brought... 13 Aes Sedai to this secret message, uh, meeting that we've been we've spent like weeks arranging to avoid well, hiding actively we, from hiding and we've there's like 13 Aes Sedai right here right now the pigeon system what have we been through you 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 <laughs> yes. cannot wrap that <laughs> many weeks, notes months. around the legs of a pigeon like you want to send detailed <laughs> instructions about a big ass meeting but you got this dumbass small bird uh, that cannot even carry a coconut its own weight. Um, that is, yeah, I mean, let's not digress. It's, it's, I understand why I said I rocked up there. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't know. There's got to be something more to this. This can't be a coincidence. Like maybe later on we read about how the I said I found out about this and we're like, whoop, something's up. We got to go. There's 200,000 borderlanders amassing in the Black Hills and are going to, you know, march south instead of north that's that's odd for them well there was mm -hmm. so, note yeah. about it that the borderlands has been super quiet and i think it was in one of elida's yes. crazy mm -hmm. chapters where she's specifically like everything has gone quiet in the borderland like there's not much happening mm -hmm. there and so these guys say it as well mm. yeah so yeah maybe they went to investigate and just one of them says um that the blight is unnaturally quiet and then uh, agelmar says under his breath, the shadow never sleeps. Mm. And the guy next to him, I can't, Peter, I think it is like, like slightly nods with yeah. him, like, word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know your shit. You, you fought at the gap. <laughs> yes, many times. Yes. Um, so, yeah, back, back from Tangent Land. Um, oh. <laughs> that's so fun there. <laughs> um, so, Ethaniel's like, okay, look, all of you, listen, if any one of these 13 Aes Sedai, just need one of them to send a message to the tower, uh, and we're fucked. Do you think you can honestly stop an Aes Sedai from doing anything that they want to do? Like, you guys have ruined everything. Now now we have no no choice, but we've got to, like, move, like, right now. But first, dinner. <laughs> yeah. Punch anyone? Uh, Paytar <laughs> replies that the dice are out of the cup, and I thought, this is, like, just Matt popping up going, what? Who said something about dice? <laughs> but he wasn't there, unfortunately. You just have to imagine that. SCR adds that further south, it may well have to, you know, they may well be have to deal with some Isodai as well. Zenobia invites the three of them to dine because, as the Saldean, she's the one that to offer punch and come to my silken tent, I imagine, um, to dine uh, that night. And adds uh, that to Ethaniel <laughs> that her uncle, that Kalyan guy, would be mm -hmm. honored to sit behind her. And Ethaniel immediately is like, wait. What, are you trying to hook me up, you sneaky little bitch, with your, with your uncle? old ass uncle? 
your old ass uncle. The first time she notices him, she gets a look at him, and then she sees something in his eyes that she has not seen in a long time. A man looking at a woman, not a queen. Yeah. <laughs> so then she starts, then a little bit of a, then she gets all nervous. And then she's like, oh, wait, actually, I'm going to need a strong man. This dude looks, looks like he knows what he's about. Mm-hmm. So she, there's a little bit of a, a thing there. Um, mm-hmm. I believe, thanks to people writing in, that they do actually end up together. They so, do. Here's where it begins. Um, they then all come together. Ethaniel suggests, like, listen, to break the tension. <laughs> he's in the tension, baby. Uh, let's all slice our wrists so they all slice their palms <laughs> palms i meant palms yeah. uh to get grip them together and swearing a blood oath blood oath that they are one until the death ethaniel thinks now while they're all bleeding together that all they have to do is find rand Thor and do what must be done whatever the price so dun, dun, dun. do do what now you gonna do what to the who now yeah careful <laughs> Easy. Don't write checks with your mouth that your body can't cash. <laughs> or your 50,000 men. Uh, look, she's not stoked with her uncle, Tenobia, that she's, is, she's going down. Oh, of course not. He was sent to go yeah. find Mazarin Taim. Now he's just joined yeah, the Dragon joined. Reborn. He's just attacking Ilian. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's training and not orders. heavily. He's influenced yeah, yeah. So by the severe nature of Rand to no extent. Mm. Like, there's. Everyone is influenced, yeah. including him. Just caught in his in his slipstream. Now, if I recall correctly, the Borderlanders are not someone that Rand has to to worry about. I think they're going down to join him, right? It's sort of painted as like I mean, they are good guys, anti the shadow. Rand is a yeah. good guy, anti the shadow. We know they're going to be fine. I think it's supposed to come across as like they are not happy and they could, you know maybe raise a hand against Rand or cause trouble for him in some way. And, I mean, sooner or later, I can't remember it specifically, but sooner or later there must be some kind of confrontation, some kind of conversation, at least. Yes. See what happens. Uh, <laughs> I, I just keep cool. saying, like, Lan. Lan is the king of the north, and he will just go like, yeah, and everyone will go, yep, king of, go that King guy. of one. Mm. Did you guys read the little poem before the map? Or not the little poem, but the little excerpts, the little quotes. Possibly. Poem before the map. Oh, yes. It goes like this. Are you going to read it to us? Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. Of course. I won't just drop that in there and not do it. Um, (laughs) Moving on. The the first one is just, uh, so it's more like, like an idiom than a poem, really, but who would sup with the mighty must climb the path of daggers. And the attribution is anonymous notation found inked in the margin of a manuscript history believed to date to the time of Arthur Hawking of the last days of the Tovan conclaves. Important part there from the time of Arthur Hawking. And then that second one is on the heights, all the paths are paved with daggers, which is an old Sean Chan saying, which is cool because the Sean Chan being descendants of Arthur Hawking, you can see how Mm -hmm. they took that thing and it just sort of morphed over time and became sort of like a glib little thing that people said. That's a cool little way, just like a fun little interesting way to introduce the name of the book, which I thought was great. Now, Vil, did you have anything that you wanted to say? Because I've got a bunch of bone dry lore and name related factoids to rattle off. All right. I got like six, seven pages of people history on this stretch of the North people. 
but I just uh-huh. I can't read my handwriting, so I'll give you like, just take okay. the floor and okay. rattle. I'm already yours. drawing mm. this picture, so. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ethanil. Ethanil? Ethanil. Ethanil. Yes. Both her husband and her son, Derek, were murdered in 979 NE by Marion Redhill of the Black Archer, posing as Blue Archer. Moraine was present at their deaths, dueling Marion with the One Power, but the only person alive who knows this is her warder. So only Lan knows that Moraine was there. They never told anyone this. Um... Uh, the only person alive who knows this is her warder, Lan Mandragoran, and neither Moraine's presence nor Marion's involvement in the deaths of the prince consort and the heir to the throne were ever discovered. So um, this sounds like stuff that probably went down in New Spring. Yeah, it does. But whoa, Moraine and Lan, other like non-dragon-related huge secrets, <laughs> like just players <laughs> yeah. in like world politics and just keeping all that stuff close to their chest. Um. Then I thought this was just like a cool description of the Black Hills. I've never conjured this clear an image of them. So they they are they are described as being like really cut off from the rest of the world. You know, like it, they it, it's like once you've gone in there and you're sort of like dealing with the villages and stuff there, they, they sound very easily defensible. Um, they sound intricate to navigate and just inhospitable. So there's no reason for mm. people to move through there or anything. So I thought that was cool that uh, it sounds like a good place for that wilder, Norla, that taught Cadswain um, in the Black Hills. That's a place where a powerful wilder could, you know, reside for hundreds of years, literal centuries, without being bothered by the tower or anything. So I'm just like, I'm really intrigued by the Black Hills and its, you know, (laughs) weird spire and stuff. We've heard something about the Black Hills as well, and I think Deshiva's cover story is that he grew up in the Black Hills. Hmm. Isn't um, Halima's body from a woman? In That's the Black Hills? what I thought first as well, but I think she's from the Borderlands. Her body was taken from the Borderlands. I made that exact same statement in a previous episode, and then had to correct myself. And then I went, I typed that out here, and then I went, "Hang on." <laughs> <laughs> callback to a callback I went and I looked it up And I called it's, it back anyway Anyway, It's because Asangar and Arangar were resurrected at the same time So we were given that, that um, uh. tidbit At the same time that we learned about Halima and Deshiva at the same time Then Kirukan So that blade The queen's blade that's mm. been carried by her sword bearer um, Kirukan was the warrior queen from Aramayal Which was a huge country sort of takes up about 50% of the, the borderlands originally. So this is like during, you know, the years of Arta Hawkwing. There was no Seldaya, there was no Shinar, there was no Arafel mm. or, or Kandor. So it was like from Shinar through to like the middle uh, of like uh, Arafel or Kandor. Um, so a huge country that she, um, that she ruled. Uh, legend says that she beheaded a false dragon with her sword and had two sons to another man who could channel. Birgitta Silverbo said that Kirukan's temper was like that of a boar caught in briars. So mm-hmm. Birgitta has memories of this of this um, this warrior queen with this it's a power wrought blade that she used to behead a false dragon, which is a cool story for a sword that is never mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Pytar, the king of Arafel, is Karuna's brother. Bera and Karuna. Oh this yeah. Is Pytar. This is her brother. This is why she's so haughty and so like holier than thou because she is royalty. She is the sister of a king. I hear you. He, at this point, is 63 and looks old, like Ethanel 
thinks about it. But Karuna is never described as old. Karuna is slightly younger than Pythor, but she's 61. Hmm. But she obviously has the ages look so. Indeed. Then Pythor's attendant Ishigari Teresian is um, is the fat and always hungover looking dude, but is deceptively like good at his job. He's a great general. Yeah. Um, Kirill Shianri is a snooty advisor. He's, he's got like bells everywhere, like bells all over his clothes. And oh, stuff. that that Kandori, yeah. Yes, that's the dude. I always wondered that would be terrible for sneaking around in the blight. Absolutely, but he's described as like he's like a lord, you know. He's like your yeah. almost stereotypical fantasy lord, oily lord advisor, yeah. shitbag, you know. Worm tongue. Yes, Green exactly. Tongue. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't do any of the sneaking. He arranges the sneaking. Yes, Grima with bells. I hate greasy then, men like that. <laughs> you meant to. They are written that way specifically. Um, I just call King Isar of Shinar Isar, not Esar or anything like it. Just because it's e- easy, Isar. Easy, okay, maybe. Because I always think it's got to be more difficult than what it would seem. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair assumption, and it probably is. I'm probably oversimplifying. Um, I just like that he's like the other Shinarans also still has a top knot. He's the king and he's fully gray, but he's got a gray top knot. So still wears the, the warrior hairstyle. Uh, with Lord Agelmar. Hey, buddy, long time no see. Um, <laughs> it was cool to see um, Agelmar is respected by Ethaniel and the other borderlanders as well. And like you said, Joe, she says sudden death waiting to be unleashed. Um, even the other borderlanders know he is the shit. Two great captains come from the borderlands, Davron Bashir and Lord Agelmar. It's easy to forget Lord Agelmar is also one of the five great captains. Yeah. Um, when he shifts in his saddle later, Ethaniel thinks that he has the look of a man recalling where all his weapons are stored on his person. Like, <laughs> yeah. She also mentioned that he's like festooned with weapons, you know, there's weapons <laughs> yeah. everywhere. And as he moves in his, shadow, his saddle, he's just sort of like feeling, yep, okay, cool, my daggers, my knives and my fucking hatchets and stuff are all in place and ready to go. <laughs> Um, it's Ishigari, the, the the guy that sort of looks drunk and hungover all the time. He says, oh. it seems like the blight is asleep. And then Agelmar says quietly under his breath, the shadow never sleeps. Um, Isar has been mourning his wife for 11 years and wrote poetry for her, which is cool oh, because yeah. remember Agelmar and Lan were also talking poetry. Like back in at, in the eye yeah. of the world, we were talking about how cool these Shinaran sort of warrior poets are. Lan obviously spent a lot of, he grew up in Shinar. Um, that's why he's mm. so familiar with all those guys. But it's just so cool that they weave it in like it's part of the culture. Like these badass great captain, the king, Landman Dragoran, like all these hectic fighters and kings and nobility also super mm. into poetry. <laughs> it just makes them even more badass. Well, it's an effective way to communicate emotion when you're stoic and you don't show emotion just through the words of poetry. Like maybe that is just easier for them. Totally. And they also use, um, you know, swordplay to them is an art form, you know, like all the artistic names and the sort of uh, the way I imagine it anyway, is it's a very sort of like um, almost like dancer like uh, mm. motions. In fact, I think it is said as much like he's uh, yeah. dancing with death or something like that. Um, always dance the forms. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So it is very, very um, like uh, an artistic expression. Then Ethaniel's sword bearer, the guy carrying uh, Kirukan's blade, is Baldir or something like that. He plays a big mm-hmm. role at the end of A Memory of Light. 
Now, I'm not going to spoil it yet, Joe, but let's see if this triggers a memory. He calls out a mistake made by one of the great captains, which leads to a huge revelation. And how that... Ah, yes. Yeah. This is him. This is this oh. guy that was carrying the sword. He's the one that notices and triggers the recovery. Cool. Vili, in the dark. Cool. <laughs> see, that's Good. why none of these spoilers is going to absolutely make any sense to me because just too much. <laughs> But I'm also, I'm trying to avoid them where I can, where it makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, I don't have to spoil the thing, but um, it's cool, Jody. And I and all our listeners that know the end of the story know exactly what I'm talking about. Then uh, Tenobia's uncle, Kalen Ramson, is named after Gab- Gabriel Ramson's daughter. Uh, Gabriel Ramson is a real-life person. It says, a quote from Gabriel Ramson, a person in our world. I wrote to Robert Jordan back in 1994. Three books later, my name showed up. I beat all of you. I wrote to Jordan and told him how much I loved his books and let him know about my daughter, Kayla. Then, as I was reading his book, I see my name with my daughters. Just a slight variation. So, Kaylin Ramson is named after... It's the first that I know of person um, in the real world that has been written into the book. I know Brandon Sanderson did that a lot, actually, towards the end of the series. A lot of... there's a On the 13th um, repository, there's a... Depository. There's a huge list of characters named after people in the real world. Like pages and pages and pages of them. Mostly characters I do not remember ever reading about. If you think <laughs> so like about it. one-time mentions. If you do a fantasy world with a vast amount of characters, you, your creative ability for names are stretched thin. And <laughs> yes, you get you fan mail. Tested. They have names. Well, why Ooh, not Ramson. give them a place? Did I like your letter? Mm. No, I didn't. You are now a dark friend. <laughs> um okay back to ethniel she notes that due to her impossible standards tenobia would die a maiden meaning her meaning her uncle davram bashir would inherit her throne or else his heir that happens and fael becomes queen of saldea after the final battle yes that is true i recall uh neon Ethaniel's Aes Sedai survivor is also named for Nian McAuliffe, an Irish fan of the Wheel of Time. She and her friend Ashling Ryan, Ashling Noon, King Esau's Aes Sedai advisor, was named after her, wrote to Robert Jordan in their final year of school, asking him to include them in his book series. And he did. <laughs> cool. I wonder why yeah. them. Or maybe they said like names that he liked. Because I'm I sure a thousand too. people did that. No, yeah. they wrote in. I'd like, do you think that a lot of people would be doing this? But maybe not. Like a few... How, how would you even do that? Uh, write it all. Hey. Yeah, you couldn't tweet him. Then, they think, Elida had miscalculated badly in sending a sister to bully Tenobia. <laughs> that tracks. Queen of miscalculation. So, <laughs> I went back and I found the chapter where she does this, right? Uh, it's in the prologue of A Fires of Heaven where Teslin, who is now in Ibudar, mm-hmm is in the room with all of Elida and her cronies. Teslin and Jolene are both there. Teslin gives news about Davran Bashir moving south and east after Taim's escape. Elida and Alviaran agree to send uh, Mamara, a red sister, to quote-unquote tame Tenobia. She will take no nonsense from Tenobia while never letting her see the leash. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Now we've met Tenobia and we're like, okay, gross miscalculation from Elida. And yes, of course. Um... This blood pact has only been enacted seven times since the breaking. So in 3,000 years, is it? 
3,000 years ago. Yeah. And that's all I had, Joe. You can now re-engage your that's brain. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, just a sprinkling. Yes. Right, i got to find my notes again. I, I, I like diving into these names because I am hoping, and it's probably futile, but I'm hoping to have some of them actually stick. You know, like I, I want to build out yeah. the lore and try and hold on to as much of it as possible. So whenever I read about these people, I might go again. Remember, this is the person that X, Y, Z. Um, so just bear with me. My friends and listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. very happy that you are keeping track of this. You got the names I'm trying. down. The, so the, just another weight off my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. You know us in tangents, yeah. Vili loves a garden path, as you know. Oh, yes. All right. Especially if it leads to sodomy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you just did. <laughs> sorry, Jody. Sorry. Sorry. Uh-uh. You've got to let me compose myself now. Hang on. We with Varen. Ah, yes. There we go. Um, who's in the Aeol camp outside of Kyrian. She has maneuvered herself into the good graces of the wise ones. Um, they... They allow her to do her questioning, yeah, which we'll learn about, and to move mm-hmm. freely and whatnot. But they're they're not they're not buddy buddy, all right. I don't want anybody to get that impression. She's yeah. still very much restricted, and she is considered, you know, a nice Sedai, mm-hmm. as we all know how how wise ones think about Sedai at the moment. But she has been given some freedom, and she has some people that to look after her and also uh, you know run and fetch things for her. Um, so she is in her tent with Turana, an Aes mm-hmm. Sedai of the White Aisha, um, who was captured by the Ashaman at Dumai's Wells. So she is going through and questioning all of these I- captured Aes Sedai um, from Dumai's Wells. And that's that's her mission at the moment. I don't know how the hell, because we don't see this happening, but she managed to convince Sorelia to let all of this happen. And Amis. And she's giving them information. And Amis. Who agreed with it? I'm surprised. I'm very shocked by this. But anyway, it happens. Varen, uh, she chats quickly to outside the tent. She's got those two guys that are helping her and um, observing her. Uh, Coram mm-hmm. and Mendan. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been set to, and I quote, guide her. She thinks uh, the size of the camp and the Aes Sedai have been named uh, Datsung. Because she can see them walking around outside. Um, and then Aes Sedai such as Karuna, who haven't. We remember mm-hmm. Karuna. Just met her brother. Yeah. So we're just having a look at uh, the situation. She's uh, in the tent just, you know, giving us a, a, a little overview of what's happening in the in the camp. Uh, she asks Coram outside um, to tell one of the wise ones, Kolinda, this is a new one, that she's mm-hmm. done with Turana and would like to see Katerin Elrudin. Mm-hmm. This gigantic asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Katerine Elrudin, please pronounce it correctly. Elrudin. No, I will not. Um, she was, well, well, supposedly Red Aja, but Black Aja. And mm-hmm. I, I looked a little bit into her backstory. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that Egwene kills her during yes. the Battle of the White Tower. In Teleonriot with a spear when she makes her weaves to become useless mm-hmm. and then just picks up a spear and stabs her. So <laughs> yes. she doesn't hang around uh, much longer. Egwene becoming fully Aeel and Masana setting Katerin up 
she puts yeah. on Katarin the disguise that she had been using, and Egwene thinks she's killing Masana. So, yeah. Sorry for you, so Katarin. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So, uh, while she's waiting, she sees one of the Aes Sedai who was stilled by Rand mm-hmm. growing by I think Urgain Ur- is her name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and just like again feeling sick it doesn't matter who you are what you've seen what you've done when you if you're an isodai and you see another isodai that's been stilled walking around you want to empty your guts um but she goes back to the tent now and, and looks after turana for until uh, the the wise ones arrive so um then that's that's when they do davien and losain they enter the tent they link and they assume Turana's shield and they lead her from the tent. So there's a switching around. So they've got the system going now where everybody's always shielded and under. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron? These names are getting weirder and weirder. This is another <laughs> wise one. We're introduced to so many wise ones. So many. I am so happy I didn't get this prologue. So stoked. <laughs> <laughs> so stoked. Dude, you're just going to have to bear with me as I fumble through it, okay? Uh, there was some method to the chapter selections in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I said something that offended Moritz last week, so here I yes. am. Um, so there's another wise one who arrives. She seems to be in charge. She's, like, she's higher up the, the ladder. Aaron, Aaron, whatever you want to do. She uh, moves over to Varen's notebook and starts flipping through the notes. It's like, oh, sneaky, sneaky. But of course, everything is in code. Uh, so she doesn't understand anything. Varen thinks, haha, good luck trying to break that. Uh, she also sees nothing about the questions that Varen is supposed to be asking the Aes Sedai. So she wants to know, what are you what are you doing here? What are you asking? Varen's like all, you know, uh, just telling her, look, you know, they all have been saying the same the same thing. You know, the Kara Khan, you know, they're, they're trying to find out like what the plan was, mm. the, the Aes Sedai plan when they captured uh, Rand. What, what were they mm. going to do? Where were they going to take him? What was what were they going to do with him there? Blah, blah, blah. She was like, you know, but everyone's giving, uh, giving me the same story. The Kara Khan was to be housed in the tower as a as a guest until the last battle and guided and all of that and mm. this whole box scenario uh <laughs> began because of an escape attempt but you know mm. i suppose you know, of course everyone already knows that but that's all i've been hearing but you know never fear i'm here and i will learn more and i'm gonna get to the bottom of this she's really you know buttering buttering herself up buttering herself up <laughs> you know what i mean Yes, yes. <laughs> Rubbing butter all so, over her body. <laughs> <laughs> it's an nice to die thing, you know. Yes. The, the, uh, <laughs> I understand. They also have weird tent things. They do. <laughs> so the two maidens, uh, two maidens, uh, enter with Beldine Nairam. An Isodyne of the Green Aja. And she's Varen's like, well, uh, I asked for Catherine, uh, you remember? El Rudden, mm-hmm. as she is supposed to be pronounced. Uh, you know, and uh, apparently, this uh, this one has escaped. <laughs> she did a sneaky, and she's like, "What? She escaped?" And and I like how the wise ones are like, "Yeah, but you know, maybe we just keep this between ourselves and don't let the Karakar know that we lost one of these Aes Sedai." Mm-hmm. So even they are afraid of being caught out by the Karakar. Um, but she's thinking now, this is Varen, she's thinking like, oh, I've been doing this this something all day and it's super, super tiring, this questioning and the way I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, go through, like do many more of these. But anyway, I've got some questions uh, to ask. So yeah, she will she will take this one if there's no other one. Yeah. And she also thinks to herself at this point, like, 
that she she can do it whatever she's whatever she's doing she can do it to any of the Aes Sedai uh, that don't have warders and so she's carefully picking these people so that they mm. don't have warders so it was like oh and you're reading as a reader going like why what are you doing what are the mm-hmm. warders going to feel all right but she's picking ones with dead warders or those who don't have warders so um luckily this Beldine who you mentioned earlier has mm-hmm. been brought in and she has no warders. She is actually quite young. She's new to the shawl. She doesn't even have the ages look yet. Uh, and both of her um, warders were were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Tialan, this is just smiling now. The wise one that entered with the maidens and Baldine replies that, yeah, this is the one that tells that, that Catherine El Rudden has escaped. Mm-hmm. So Varen is instructed then to, to not tell Rand. And after... She and Beldine are alone. Varen begins to to speak with her. And Beldine's immediately like, how dare you? How could you have torn, turned cl- turn cloak on us, you know, and sworn fealty to, to Rand so easily? And Varen is like, well, listen, Beldine, uh, you are a Datsang. Uh, <laughs> I would rather be sworn to fealty than where you are at the moment. Uh, and Beldine's like, all right, fine, you win. She's She loses some of her her acidity. Um so Varen offers Beldine healing and she accepts because she's been made to like crawl around on her hands and knees filling holes and whatnot. So she's pretty she's pretty beat up and tired and sunburnt and all kinds of things. Uh, so Varen heals her. And then while Beldine is still vulnerable and being healed, she begins another weave using a secret ungreal that she has had for many, many years. And now as a as a new reader, you're going, hang on now, what's all this? And mm-hmm. something that I, I imagine a new reader would do, but of course I did not and have no memory of this whatsoever. So the weave is very intricate. It uses all five of the powers, heavy and spirit. Mm-hmm. And Beldine starts realizing that, hey, whoa, 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 I know what healing feels like. This is a this is a different thing. And uh, she's like, Varian, what are you doing? But she's all like dopey and out of it. Varian replies like, no, don't worry, this will not harm you. Mm-hmm. And then thinks to herself, well, you might, you're probably going to die within a year or so, but... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't worry about it because of this weave. So yeah. this, at this point, tons of alarm bells should be going off in your head about who mm-hmm. Varen is and what her motives are because mm-hmm. she knows that this weave is going to kill this Aes Sedai. Well, she uh, says specifically that because of this weave, the yeah. actions it makes her perform, that not ah. the weave itself will kill her. That's how she, she immediately justifies it. Yes, all right. I'm just rereading my notes here where it says, the weave itself will not harm Beldine. <laughs> all right. Go. I did actually, yes. I will read my notes more clearly. Okay. Um, but it is noteworthy. It is noteworthy. Is, she is doing this thing, and I mean, it, at the very least, if it doesn't condemn her as a dark friend or a murderer or anything, it does paint her as like pretty fucking Machiavellian, right? Like she will do whatever it takes. Kill an Aes Sedai or set them up to die. Yeah. Yep. So she is... She's on a. She's clearly on her own little tangent. <laughs> mm-hmm. We love her. So um, you know, not to make anyone else suspicious, uh, she starts asking questions while she's doing this as well. It seems like uh, there's been a lot of this lately. Uh, I said, die performing intricate weaves while talking. You know, as a mm. as a way of mm. of uh, being able to do it. Yeah. So this is another thing. So Varen's just like going through the questions, blah 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 blah, that she's been asking everybody else about Rand. Um, and she kind of just continues with the weave. The weave is, takes a while. It's quite intricate. You can see why that she didn't want to do too many of these interrogations today because she's kaput. Mm-hmm. Many of the wilders who go to the tower on their own all have these little tricks that, they, mm-hmm. that they've that they learned. And they are under two categories almost always. It's like 
uh, a way to to listen to other people's conversations and a way to make people do as the channeler wanted. So mm-hmm. this is what Varen has been doing for all of these years. She's been questioning all of these girls that have been coming in as wilders who have these skills and piecing it together and creating a weave that is similar to, but not exactly like, compulsion. Yeah. So this weave that Varen has been putting on them is compulsion to mm-hmm. a degree. It's not as strong as compulsion and it's not the same way. It takes much, much longer. And also the person has to be kind of willing, mm-hmm. you know, you can't force them against their will. And so it's got yeah. some caveats, but still they are going to do what you tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Varen over many, many years and all these stories and interrogations with these like wilders that have been brought in, she's figured it out because apparently the, the tower doesn't give a shit about you know, listening to other people's conversations, but this compulsion thing, they, they've tried to, mm-hmm. to beat it out of, new novices and stuff these wilders that come in but Varen has found the the tricks uh so finally when Varen finishes with the weave she pulls on some of the some of the weaves there and the whole like thing becomes an intricate weave and then collapses in on her it's it's all very magical and awesome sounds cool um and then yeah and then she gives Beldine instructions which we do not are not privy to mm-hmm. uh and pulls on the rest of it and the causing the weave to settle into Beldine. So it's like, kind of like a web that covers her and then she gives her instructions and then ties it off like finally and like goes inside her through yeah. her skin. It's like, yeah, a very cool scene. I like to see mm. magic done like this. Um, um, Beldine then starts to convulse. So it does have some, <laughs> some unforeseen side of all. Well, it's foreseen, mm-hmm. I suppose, for Varen. Uh, she's lying on the ground having a convulsion, but it finally like calms down. Varen's very uh, scared at this point, like Coram and Menden outside are going to come inside and, and find out what she's done. But she doesn't. Uh, they don't. She does call them in, though, and she just lets them know, like, oh, look, she's on the floor because she fainted. Mm. She needs, you know, to be to be watered yeah. <laughs> by the wise ones. So even though they are still a few hours left in the day for Varen, she's thinking about this, like, I still have time to do more, but I'm so exhausted. But she thinks, like, listen, I'm going to do one more of these interrogation slash compulsion uh, sessions and asks for this Irgain to be brought to her. Mm. Uh, Irgain is a green, by the way, uh, but she does not have orders and she was stilled at Dumai's Wells. She was one of the Aes Sedai that was holding Rand's shield when he broke free. Mm. So he stilled her as he came out and she lost both her orders. Um, tough day at the office. Yeah tough day of the office and now she's going in for this interrogation compulsion thing with uh with Varen. and later also side notes uh she gets healed this this uh by what's her name? Irgain, by dharma flynn later yeah and he heals her back to full power so she does come back and have a little redemption arc i do mm-hmm. think she dies though we don't know what happens to her in the last battle there's nothing clear but at least we know she gets as far as a couple of books from here um yeah and then we leave the chapter, we leave this, this point of view with her, with Varen telling herself that she has to keep Rand alive until it is time for him to die. Like, well, if you weren't suspicious <laughs> of Varen before now, isn't Varen be very, the best? very suspicious. Isn't she, she like is. the coolest character? She is so, you just don't know what to make of her. I loved her. I, I liked her. her. Yeah. Like, oh, this yeah. is the reveal, like, uh-oh. Like, because she's been hanging around with the good team for a long time. She's been influential mm. in helping mm. the good team. She's not That's been... That's it. Like, helping Perrin, dark warning Perrin actioning. against Alana. Yeah. Yeah. This not is very, very suspicious. Mm. 
So do you want to quickly do the Marden section or should we have a chat about Varen and then we finish off with Marden? Uh, Marden is, is pretty easy and I don't think there's much to talk about there, to be honest. Nah. It's just he's him. Just, he's mad. A scene of a, a madman musing to himself about yeah, stuff. Yeah, playing All chess right. with himself. <laughs> yeah, playing chess without moving any any uh, pieces whatsoever. He's playing both, uh, sides of, okay. both, both sides of the board, so it's impossible to lose. And then he's like laughing and like crying at the same time. <laughs> Tears are running down his face and he's oblivious. Yeah, okay. He's mad. Well, there you go. No, yeah. we've talked about it now. Let's... Uh, <laughs> mad as mad as Norris. Let's carry on. So, well, Varen. Yeah. Varen. What, what a, what a Reveal. crazy, crazy woman. Reveal. Not crazy. Like, crazy in control. Like, she's figured out her own Look. compulsion weaves. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to have balls of steel to do what she's doing inside the Aiel camp. It will, what's everyone's channeling around there? There's so many channelers around there, so I don't think that her channeling is going to make any difference. But what? No, not the channel. No, no, they, they know she's that channeling. she's channeling, mm. but using this weave. Oh yes. It, like she keeps saying, like if any wise one walks in, they'd be like, "What is this? I can see that yeah. weave. This is not healing or anything akin to it. Well, this is that's why she gets or, close. She's also starting off with healing. Like she's offering healing, the healing the whole mm. time, and eventually come. Let me heal that. Yeah, because you've got to gain their trust. Your your robe yes. is very, very dirt clean, and your skin is very dirty. You've been working in the nude, haven't you? Sunburn can yeah. hurt so very badly. Anyway, yeah. trust get there. She gets close, and she starts he uh, healing with the spirit, and then you the spirit changes in a very complex week start. Like I think she's like tapping in on like. All of those good receptors and drugging. It's like playing with the nervous system. It's like little strings attached to her fingers. Releasing dopamine. Yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. something Psyching weird like that. Brain. Mm. But yeah. it's it's cool, yeah. Potentially, because I thought about that, was she breaking any of the three O's in like trying to figure that out? Um I don't think the three oaths, but certainly tower law. Which is mm. separate from the three oaths, right? They have their own laws about using balefire, using mm. having Tarangriel that are not registered, you know, like that sort of stuff. So there are laws against anything resembling compulsion. Um, mm-hmm. So she is absolutely. We know she says Varen if she had to be if she had to be busted doing this, she would be stilled. Mm. She says it mm. in this chapter. Yeah, a hoarder of knowledge, hoarder of knowledge trinkets. and trinkets. You never forget the trinkets. Mm-hmm. She gave them the rings. To get into mm-hmm. Terra and Landrioid. Like without them yeah. getting those rings, um, how much development would they not ring, be? Just the one. Mm. Well, it led to more rings. Copies. Like yeah. so the, the, totally. the point in the building of it, like Varen has been sitting there saying, Oh, well, this has got to happen. I've got to just put this one puzzle piece in play over there. Click click. Mm. And then much down further down Pop the quiz. line, there's another click click. She's super old. She's been yeah. around for ages. She thinks yeah. here about like what would have happened if she didn't become an Aes Sedai. She would have stayed in farming and married that dude and her he would already be dead. Her son would be dead. Her grandchildren would be dead. You know, mm. like she's she's a seasoned veteran. <laughs> Indeed. The chapter also, in the, early in the chapter, it says, Varen already had reasons for the path she followed and purpose. So much... New context, knowing what we know, right? Like it's it's so mm. cool reading this stuff now, um, and comparing 
what you are inferring from it with what you sort of read when you read it the first time. Just like, oh, motherly yeah. old Varen who's helping the good guys, <gasps> helping Rand die. Surely that must mean he is, um, well, Varen is super into the prophecies, right? She, like she did a lot mm. of the prophecy translation and stuff in the Great Hunt when the dark prophecy is on the wall and she knows about Tom and Head and she speaks to Moraine about that sort of stuff. So she obviously knows about the dragon having to spill his blood on the rocks of Shile Ghul. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that is what she is implying about when Rand must die. Keeping him alive until so. it's time for him to die. Because she's a double agent. She's Black Aja, but she is definitely playing both sides. She was caught, I think, investigating them and was sort of trapped and had to join or be killed. Something along those lines. Mm. And then thought, okay, cool. Well, now that I'm here, I can really learn about them. So she also knows that Catherine is Black Aja. Mm. She has a list of the 200 and odd. Yep. I think there's three or four Black Aja sisters that she does not know about. And that's it. Mm. Like the list that she has is of all of them. So she knows about Catherine. She even thinks to herself here, oh, I wish we could have arranged for an accident so that Catherine could be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no fucking scruples, Viren. Does not fuck around. Like, will kill. Now you also um, know how she got the list of names because of how tightly the Black Aja, she was been maybe at this one meet, meet your two connections, Aja meet. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, cool, I'll just compel the two of you. Oh, you look sunburned. Would you like some tea? <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't be easy to do that to fully com- conscious channelers, right? Like if you hey, channel Varen, like one person, Varen another one would yeah. get a lot of info. She got that list. Mm. And how big is a heart? Okay, I'm creating a callback for myself. But like in the in the Black Arger, a heart is just three, right? Three. Like you only know mm, of yourself yeah. and two other sisters. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Varen, I mean, she found virtually all of them. That's incredible. She missed out on one heart then. The, the one heart yeah, heart maybe. That's through. it. Yeah. Mm. Um, let's see. What else did I have here? The Siswai Aman and the Maidens are just waiting for the Aes Sedai, quote-unquote, guests to make a mistake and give them an excuse to kill them, right? So there's a lot of focus brought here to what exactly what the Aes Sedai think about... Uh, oh, sorry, the, the Ail, what the Ail think Ail. about the Aes Sedai. Mm. Um, the, the one, um, Aaron, whatever the, the wise one's name is that comes in, Varen thinks about how she's seen her give motherly smiles to other people. You know, she is quite a friendly sort. But to the Aes Sedai, she is stone cold. She is also literally looking for an excuse to kill them. And I don't know if it's in this chapter or later where you read about how the Aiel are not even pissed off about the capture of Rand and the torture. What is really getting their backs up is the fact that they showed a lack of honor by pretending to come and treat with Rand and then kidnapped him. The deception Mm. of that, that's the thing that they hate about mm. the Aes Sedai. It's not even the torture. They don't care about that. It's like anyone should be able to take a physical beating. That's fine. But you lied. Yeah. So fuck you. <laughs> you told a fib and that's yeah. way worse. That's so, that's so ill and so uh, No deceiving. You can't do that. There's many, no. many, many no. torts. It, there is no honor in it. Only shame. Um, interesting that Varen wages the wise ones didn't know how to link mere days ago and now they look like they've been doing it their whole lives so a lot of things the wise ones didn't actually know um, she also sees Varen sees what a threat Cadswain could be to any plans that she may have so not not sitting back and just letting Cadswain take over I mean she does sit back and she does let things mm. play out but she is very tuned in to what is actually happening um I love the fact that when um, the wise one looks through her notebook, 
it's not that it's filled with a cipher that she can't understand. It's full of mm. illustrations with notations and stuff. But to Varen, mm. that stuff mm. means something else. Yep. Like her cipher is, you know, indistinguishable from um, from just normal like field notes. You know, pictures of birds yes, and leaves yes. and, and annotations and stuff, which is so fucking cool. That wise one says to Varen, "Yeah, I said I have no honor." Just like blanket statement. I said I have no honor. So, yep, another window into what their opinion is. Yep. Interesting that Varen can't work as easily with sisters that have warders. So, obviously, a warder would become aware of this invasion. Um, and yep. that's why she's prioritized the ones without warders. Because the same receptors, like the warders know if uh, his isodai is having sex. Because the dopamine yeah. and the, all mm-hmm. that adrenaline, everything's fine. I think that's what she's going in on that. Mm. Even physical pain, so if they're like thrashing mm. around, maybe they're aware that they're mm. in distress, like that sort of stuff. Also, I mean, the water bond specifically for the water actually lends more sort of fortitude, like they're more resistant mm. to things and they're physically stronger and they like they can last mm. longer with no sleep and no food. So I wonder if it goes both ways. Like I wonder if it makes them less susceptible to that kind of intervention because of ah. the bond. Mm. They can draw because she looks water, specifically for maybe. waters that's passed away that could do the opposite like be more open yes, to that. Yes, the more emotionally trust, vulnerable. Emotional vulnerable. Yes. Mm. Totally. Um, same note that you had your Varen guided the wise ones, Soralia and Amis, into the decision to let her interrogate the Aes Sedai alone. I mean, what a boss. <laughs> Varen, just kicking goals here. And uh, she thinks yeah. to herself, better to behave as a novice than to be punished as one. Karuna could give that some consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, then she goes on about Alfor seems to think he has supporters in the tower mm. you'd be surprised who that is Varen Alviaren that's who Rand is talking about because he got that letter uh, yes, from her the, yeah yeah not a real supporter the, uh, the one to be frowned <laughs> that's on that's why he thinks he no, has yeah, supporters she, she's talking about Rand specifically she says Rand seems to think he has a supporter and Rand I think for the most part, kind of did buy into that because, I mean, that was such a... Uh, I don't think anymore, eh? I, I think we got that Yeah, no, no, pre, no. <laughs> This is a different wells. time now, yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially since that embassy also came from the tower. That was specifically the tower embassy. He knows there were two, Saladar mm. and Tower, and he knows this was the tower mm. one. So Alviaran's promises of uh, clemency and stuff are mm, out the window. Um, then... I just said we'll have to keep an eye out for what Varen's instructions to the compelled Aes Sedai were. I think at least some of that is to actually swear fealty to Rand because a lot of them do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was it. The last one was just the interpretation of the prophecies. I think it's specifically that line about him having to spill his blood on the rocks of Shalgul. The same lines mm. that made Rand think he has to die there. I think, you know, early in the Dragon Reborn when they camped up in the mountains and he has that big argument yeah. with Moraine, he's talking about like, I know I have to die. You don't have to sugarcoat it, um, which was pretty sad. But that is it from me. That's just the prologue of A Bath of Daggers. Well, there is a little, you know, we haven't fully explored Moradin, if you want to. Go for it. Yes, just a, I'm looking at these notes now, just going. Pff. It's mostly talking about the game now commonly called Stones. 
Yes. Which was previously called Shara. And one of the, the major pieces on the board is the fissure, which is supposed to be a representation of the dragon reborn from a previous age. Not even Moradin can remember it. Mm-hmm. It's the guy with like a little man with a cloth over his eyes and holding his side. Mm-hmm. Where he has a wound and blood is dripping through his fingers. It's like all oh, very, very exactly what happens to Rand uh, yep. on his journey. But he had both uh, so, arms, like, didn't so he? Call back to that. The fissure. Yes, was, this yeah, one did. The yes. fissure did, yes. So anyway, uh, um, m- while Moradin's busy playing this game by himself or staring at it, thinking about it, he's, he's stroking the mind traps. Is this mm-hmm. when... You, I wonder if this is the moment where Mogidian feels it before she attacks. Mm. Ooh, Nine-y. I wonder. If this but is like timeline-wise. Timeline close, shenanigans. but it's... Yeah. Uh, he, he does he does say or think to himself that he did he does that absent-mindedly from time to time mm-hmm. i think yeah. it is mentioned that it happens so, fairly it often. doesn't have to be this specific moment but, but i, I mean it would be cool if this was what was happening while she was feeling like he was washing her because he's stroking that mind trap and going on a mad insane tangent and she might have felt that coming through mm-hmm. that's why she missed Nynaeve. it's his fault and he was a hair's breadth from crushing both of them. And that would be the death yeah. of Mogedian and Lanfear. <laughs> Just like at the whim of this madman. Sindane. Yes. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Because um, we Last don't know. Chance. We haven't read about her yet. We don't know she's no. back yet. But I think it's this book, isn't it? Well, he's wearing the mind trap. Yeah, but we don't know it's Sindane's. We don't know it's no, Lanfear no, no, we come don't. back. We only know about I Mark think it's Gideon. this book that we figure it out. Okay. Cool. Anyway, I just, gives I to Mogedian. Absolute shit. What's that what? like? Does he rename Mogedian as well? No. No. He makes a point of saying, you are Mogedian, who could replace you? That's right, yes. But he renames um, Osangar and Arangar, obviously. He renames uh, Grandal when she's killed and resurrected. Mm. Um, and he renames Lanfear. Sindane. Heselam is what he calls Grandal. Well, right. You've forgotten about that completely. Me too. But basically, this whole him... This madman staring at the board is is a a metaphor for explaining that he's playing both sides. He's playing yes. the dark side and the light side, and Rand is moving according to his wishes, mm-hmm. and that's where he's giggling and laughing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even bother stopping to stopping his laugh. Um, and then you know, yeah, that that line when Moradin thinks it's very hard to lose a game when you played both sides of the board, mm-hmm. and he is now laughing so hard that there are tears rolling down his face. And that's how you leave him. Just yeah. this cackling man in a room with no doors or windows, staring at a board game. Saw flying him. across his eyes. Flying across his eyes. Yeah, he's thinking, ha ha, everyone is exactly where I want them. I'm like, oh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> but uh, okay. So yeah, he's mad. Okay. So then that is the end of the prologue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I made like notes on it. So I didn't want to waste them. Wasted no, notes. Yeah. I love it. You can talk more about it if I, you want. I, nah, there's really not much to say. Nah. The whole, that whole point of view is him thinking about that game and how the game works and the 33 pieces and the yeah. fisher moves there. But then you could take the fisher, but then the game only begins. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm it's like, like two pages. Like, it's, it's nothing. All right, fine. All right, then, let's go to chapter numero uno. To keep the bargain. Can we bargain on a summary from you, Will? Bargain on a very swift and unimpressive summary because I feel very unimpressed (laughs) by this chapter. 
Um, we, we are... <laughs> I can hear the disdain in your voice. No, <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. It's it's very nice. I love it. We are mid. It's beautiful. We mid story. We this is an unwrapped up event. They've gotten the bowl mm. of the wings. It's now time to keep the bargain, which uh, was listed out so nicely earlier. So I don't have to rattle on mm -hmm. what the bargain was again. But before we get there, we have the wind. Mm. Notably. The weather's fucked, so our intro's fucked, and the wind is no longer blowing down the mountains of mist. It's coming all the way from Tremalking. That's why things are mm -hmm. bad. That's that's a place, an island down, and then the wind's blowing east, and it's heading towards Ibadar. It's passing some Shawshan. Mm -hmm. It's telling us mm -hmm. there's some invaders, and it goes all the way to the sea folk seeking their Quiramore. The wind's traveling east. No mist, no mountains. The trade winds. That's just a, a messed up wind. Uh, we are in a very that rare perspective, Avienda. I think the last time we had an Avienda chapter, it was also mine, and that was her chapter with Rand in mm. Sex Gate Scandal. I, I sex Igloo. Sex Igloo Scandal. Um, anyway, they are still. Nothing scandalous the, about it. <laughs> yeah. They're still <laughs> in the Tarasan Palace, and it mm -hmm. opens up with Avienda exclaiming. She feels like the evil is watching her. And it's going to end right there. So, chapter done. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in between, you want to know it, go and read it. Okay, now I'll give you a little bit more than that. Um, she is, she's, she's got this weird feeling that she's being watched. Yes, you are being watched by the Golem. It's still there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's bouts of being worried about Alva. And she can't understand why. Because, I mean... She would have also killed his parents, they Triculars, and he's a little Tricular, and why should I care about this little Tricular? But the motherly instinct, that's not there yet. She's not a mother, but she is a, a very soft spot for him. Uh, but also says, you know what, Mac will find him. She sells herself off to uh, that. Uh, Brigitte is still there, obviously, and she's trying to hurry them along. Um and uh, she's also concerned about the little Oliver missing. And Avienda matches that off to, yeah, she likes ugly little men. So it makes sense that she likes Oliver because he's an ugly little kid. <laughs> <laughs> ugly little tree killer. <laughs> yep. um, there's a, a very big moment of perving on Lan um, just in how dangerous he is. Like, uh, ill perving. Like... Mm. They look at him and yeah. they see yeah. the pinnacle of danger. They see the tip of the spear. That's Lan. And how she uh, muses on that for quite a while. Uh, the most dangerous man alive. Um, she also thinks that Nynaeve isn't at this point in time the best person to be listening to. Uh, she has been spotted giggling to herself and um, acting a little bit love struck weird since the land incident. Mm -hmm. um, there's some <laughs> reflections on Birgitta being the badass warder that she is. Um, and it ties in, and I'm trying to understand this little bit of banter that happened there, where Birgitta mentioned something about fond and kittens. And I think it's stuff that came out between Avienda and Elaine in becoming closer but that would shame 
Avienda if it ever came out, but it, I, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's AL bullshit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, this gets her to the point of completely blushing and getting embarrassed and stopping. And then Nynaeve, like, what the hell are you stopping for? Get moving. And you know, she gets a one-two from Nynaeve. Um, now... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, jab, jab. Yeah. Uh, they are now faced, or they meet up now eventually with uh, Teslin, not to be confused with mm-hmm. Tylen. Um, and there's a bit of a standoff and a face-off there because Teslin is with the other sister, Jolene, if you remember, mm-hmm. and they are tower loyalists, question mark. They're from the tower. Yeah, they're from the tower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the most we can say. It is not the most friendly exchange. There's a lot of tension in the room. Yeah. There's there, there's a lot of tension. Um and at one point, Elaine decides to step in and slander is thrown around. Summer hams are mentioned. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, there's oh, summer hams. Here's Elaine using a summer ham. He's even like, so he pipes up his head. He's like, raises his eyes a bit. They're startled, one would almost say. Um, and amused at the comments that's being flown. But Elaine really takes charge in these high, you know, level situations, mm. which is cool to see. Um, Tower is not happy with the influence now that all these channeling women have their say. So that is really ruffling the feathers of Teslin. Mm-hmm. Now, Naive doesn't just want to leave them because they eventually say, like, look, we're going to let you do your thing, but, you know, a reckoning is coming for you eventually, uh, but they're not going to get in their way is kind of the agreement. And Nynaeve wants to part ways with them with a friendly warning as well. Like, hey, Golem, Mogidian, all these things are real. And they take that like, <laughs> Black Aja, oh, Black Aja as well, laughing it off. And mm. you just you just worry about how you're going to be back in whites as soon as the Taoist, um, you know, deals with you. And she mm-hmm. sniffs as she walks past Avienda, the wilder wisdom, wilder wisdom woman. Anyway, Lan coughs and makes like, okay, cool, time to go. They are still golems and black arch and all these things that you're warning them about is still around here so let's let's mosey on yes um so the warders now heard their isodies and the isodies know that they're being herded so they take their time and they talk about dresses and they stop at the shops and it's just a, a comical scene um talk about an illuminator refugee that's putting on a show mm-hmm. that night could mm-hmm. this be a ludra yes it is mm-hmm. um and then <laughs> there's a lot of dress talk. I, I, I switched off. There's dress talk and <laughs> there's scowling. And then a lot of, in this whole theme, Avienda is feeling that she's become soft and she needs to get out of the wetland is because she, she's going to be uh, a sop crying. And, um, you know, she already recognizes that she's talking about dresses and liking the cut of her riding dress. She's wearing a riding dress, a naive woman. So it's something to think about. Uh, they finally reach the stable doors <laughs> of the palace yard where 
I suppose they're going to get their horses and gateway out of here, only to be met with the other faction of channeling women who have opinions, uh, the sea folk, uh, under the mm. guidance of Renale Den Caldon Bluey, that uh, now wants to buy the bargain, the bargain, we made the bargain, you must pay, it's time to pay the bargain. Um, the bargain needs to be handled and there's it's like Nynaeve just doesn't even want to deal with it. She just sniffs and wants to walk off, like do her best to get away, but it's not getting away from this. Um, and it's it gets to the point of insults being thrown and you've got Aes Sedai, Big Tower, Main Tower, Fake Tower. You've got uh, Rebel Aes Sedai. You have Kinswoman who can channel and you've got Windfinders and Everyone has an opinion, and especially the windfinders over the kinswoman, because this is now wilder politics. I don't understand mm. any of it, but there's a lot of shouting and there's a lot of cursing. Um, and also now the kinswoman have brought the prisoners along with them that have been captured, the Black Arja, uh, Ispan, and is it Christian? Uh, that. And they also, like, look, we don't want to hold these women. Like, we feel uncomfortable holding these women. Do they have both of them? Or is it just Ispan? I thought it was two. I think it's just one. Yeah, they've got Ispan. Um, the, Chris, Christian gets I think mentioned. Christian is the kinswoman who is shielding Ispan. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Um, uh, I think could be a good old callback. <laughs> Uh, either no, way, cool back. It is she's not happy that she's got to shield Ispan. It's It seems wrong. But anyway, Nynaeve um, is annoyed with this. Uh, Avienda is just <laughs> observing how Elaine handles Mira Little, trying to get out of her duties. Everyone's trying to get out of something. And uh, mm. the bargain, the bargain, the seagulls and the bargain. So the windfinders are now being referred to at this point as the seagulls. Because when they see that bowl in the in the wrapped up things, and Merlel gets the bowl now eventually, they're like, mine, 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 mine. It's, mm -hmm. it's chaos. They just want to get their hands on that bowl. Um, and this is where it is screaming and fighting and screaming insults. And all of a sudden, Sidar's being embraced by all the women. And it almost gets to the point of a battle where Nynaeve does the big loud voice enough. And she starts pointing at the Windfinders and tells them that their crummy deal has got things that they got to still commit to. So shut the hell up. You'll get your bloody ball. But first, you'll fix the weather. And pointing to Merlil and the Aes Sedai. And she just puts everyone back in their boxes, including the kin. And... She's then, all right, time to move. Avienda flinches then when Elaine sort of grabs her and like, look, let's, this has been enough drama for one day. Let's move along. Um, and then again, reflecting that she's going to be a milk-hearted wetlander soon now, that she's even mm -hmm. flinching when people touches her arm when all of this, because it's a heightened emotional state. Women are arguing and fighting. Now she's flinching. Like, what have Avienda become? She's not a maiden anymore. We're doing gateways now. Uh, Avienda does a bit of reflecting back to her sex gate that she made, but she can't remember how to make it. And there's a lot of um, gateway envy in this <laughs> stage by Avienda. 
Um, but they have gateways opened, which is somewhere where there's farmlands dotted through. So I assume this is they're going to the farm as they have arranged. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was also carefully chosen and not spoken about specifically for Black Arja and all the evils not to be able to follow them to where they're going to next. Mm -hmm. So no one knows about this plan except Nynaeve, Elaine, and Avienda, the, the, the location of where they're going to. And the kin. And the kin, of course. Um, and with all of this going back on, she's sort of, she's now not through the gateway yet. And Nynaeve and Elaine, they've gone through. She's sort of rear guard, still getting maiden, and there's some warders. And she looks up at the windows where there shouldn't be someone. And behind the window, sort of over the towers, she spots this man that is just walking in the sun behind him. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, God, it's him. It's the golem. And she sends one of the other Amir and says, like, task her with a message, which is code, which I assume they must have had beforehand spoken about. And uh, I, I don't think they had a code. She was sort of grasping at, like, what can I say to her to impress upon her the danger without sending these yeah. guys into a tizzy? She had to sort of, like, come up. Yeah, with because she couldn't sort of. get the kin now. Because it's a big progression yeah. of people. Like, the, the this is not the... the time for chaos when people are weaving razor blades and mm. next minute is kinswoman pushing kinswoman slicing in half and Ispan gets beheaded and windfinders windfinders it's a lot of nonsense so the code is fact, enemies windfinder she sends isn't it yeah yeah she sends a note yeah. an athamir it doesn't say windfinder yes. there are only windfinders here okay then it is a windfinder there's, there's, 20, there's 20 there's 20 ather and mir channelers with them um, anyway, the message is enemy comes when you least expect it. Well, they have a lot of enemies, but anyway, go for it. Um, <laughs> and Avienda is, is scared. She knows this thing is dangerous. Um, she's for the first time grateful for wetlanders with swords being around her. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. This is where it's like, okay, golem level is very high like she's glad for swords and warders around her um yeah. and then she draws in Sidar as much as she can not sure why because she can't do a thing to it she's scared yeah she's, she's as, as she's comfort on, on uber defense yeah, like, mm. um, make the ground explode. I'm gonna go out fight. Yeah, and yeah. that is when you expect the ground to explode, and it's the end of the chapter. It stops right <laughs> there. So and she goes, no, goodbye. Yoink. A lot of politicking, a lot of screaming, a lot of there's a bit there thingy things, a lot of shuffling of women through gateways. I don't know if you guys have read ahead, but strap in mm. this ride <laughs> oh, through the I countryside from after the gateway to the farm is only this. This dynamic. Oh. Uh, All right. Only there. So for me, Terrible spoilers. The next, the next chapter. Unweaving. Unweaving. And then the symbol of the forsaken. So I hope the next chapter is going to be a little bit. Something interesting happens. Exciting. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. What I, what I will say is, remember when I had that, that flashback to a scene of the golem staring through the... Um, the wrought iron window when Matt's looking ah. back at the window and there's a pool of blood on the floor somehow, but why would a golem be next to a pool of blood be inside him? You know, that sort of stuff that all yeah. plays out in the next chapter. Mm. 
All right. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Finally have closure. Yes. <laughs> and did you have anything to say about this chapter, Joseph? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we move on? <laughs> all I'd like to say is that my favorite moment is not from this chapter. <laughs> Would you be surprised if I told you I had about... 15 notes on this chapter. <laughs> no, I would not be. Not in the least. Rattle them off, Moritz. Here we go. Let's start rattling. Um, the Amayar. So remember when the wind is blowing across Tremel King and yeah. this brief mention of the Amayar people that live there? Jody, you mm-hmm. were gesturing. Our, our podcast listeners couldn't see your gesture of like, <laughs> holding your hand up as if there were a large crystal sphere in it. So the other Kuden yes. Kull is, yeah. um, is on Tremel King. There's one outside Kyrian and there's one on that island. Um, the, Amanyar, the Amayar are a peaceful native people on the island of Tremel King. They follow a peaceful doctrine known as the Waterway, similar to the Way of the Leaf, mm. um, but not quite as pacifistic. The Amayar have a strong belief that reality is in fact not real, but only a passageway to another existence. It is mm. not known in the wider world, but the Amayar are the craftsmen of the highly valued seafolk porcelain. Whenever you hear people talk about seafolk, and they are not seafolk, to be clear. Mm-hmm. No. Um, they formed during the breaking of the world, and when the female statue of the Kudenkal melted during the cleansing of Sidin, the Amayar interpreted this as the end of the time of illusion and committed mass mm. suicide. Wow. So, Nynaeve used cult. the gateway key, or the, the, the statue mm-hmm. key, and channeling mm, mm. the power so much that it melted the statue on the island in Tremalking. Yes. And those folks all jumped into the volcano after that. I can't remember <laughs> how they did so. it, but yes, they all killed themselves. Rightio, An entire people. Okay. Now Women this people, children, the works. Their bone china that they make, their porcelain, is uh-huh. as good as it is because of all the bones, human bones that they grind up on the island <laughs> because they they actually cannibalistic people that live around like this very volcano. They actually that farm. They, they, they farm they, with goats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the bones for the goats, especially for the porcelain. Anything and they with eat bones. people, obviously. Yes. And yes. they don't eat the bones because Bone they meal. need that for the porcelain. Yeah. Mm, mm. They're, they're them, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um. Here we have mention of like as the wind is blowing past the Shawnchan ships, there was a multitude of streaming banners like the portents of a storm. Okay, RJ, storm linked to the Shawnchan, got it. Mm. Um, and then of the wind itself, later he goes, not yet the storm, but a harbinger of storms. Okay, thank you. <laughs> got it. <laughs> the Shawnchan of the storm, got it. Yes. We were asking that very question, so don't be annoyed when he answers it. Not true. Um, it's cool that Avienda uh, can sense when someone watches her like she gets uh, an itch between her shoulder blades and she's correct like she gets it both times and the second time is when she looks around and she sees it is the golem standing up on a tall tower with the sun directly behind him so she can hardly make him out Um, but she senses that first and then then sees him (laughs) it's cool how when there is mention of Nynaeve trying to keep a lid on her temper when Lan is around um Vili, like you said, Avienda is sort of like fan fangirling out on on Lan. She thinks to herself, "Had death been a man, she would have been him." Mm-hmm. It's cool. They think, "A, I don't know if it's an Ayil thing or a maiden thing, but they think death is a woman." 
Um, and then <laughs> if it was a man, it would be land. Yeah. All right. It's, what's the other line from there? Like she had no endangerous men in her life, but none like Analien. No, my next was Ian Alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, trouble. Speaking of trouble, Avienda is like a hair's breadth away from like beating up Teslin. Like she's, she's <laughs> having to be like so held back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Teslin on the surface is very antagonistic towards Elaine and Nynaeve. But we know she is the one that slipped the letter into Matt's coat to warn the girls about being careful. That wasn't a threat. It was mm. a genuine warning. Mm. And she is also the one that later, after Matt helps them, like really truthfully thanks Matt and sends him a letter from the tower and all that sort of stuff. Like she actually is totally redeemed in the eyes of the reader anyway. Because she's the, the really prickly, stuffy, red with the high-necked dress mm. and like stickler mm. for the law. Driven sent proper, there by Elida. red by the yes. rule. It's, uh, she's, exactly. And that's, but the, what I do like is like she says, I... This is where I stand with you, but I'm not standing in your way. So yes. just note, I'll be switching you in the tower in six months. When you're in the whites, you'll be bringing dinner to my room and mm. I will be making you feel every moment of that shame. Tesla also doesn't know anything about a golem. She's 130 years old. So I wonder if there are any Aes Sedai. I mean, we know that none of them here in these scenes in Ibudar know anything about a golem. But I wonder if Cadswain knows anything or Moraine or Varen. You know, some of our old sort of stalwart, knowledgeable I said, I wonder if they know anything about a golem. Just an interesting thought. Nynaeve thinks to herself that Teslin might be ready to turn on Elida. Well read, Nynaeve. She sort of already has by withholding information from Ibudar. So we were talking sort of skirting around mm. the fact that she was sent there from the tower by Elida. But sort of also, I think, was she the one that was demoted? She used to be a sitter and now she's been sent away. Like, you know, it's, it's pretty it was harsh enough. Teslin. It was enough. Of a motive for her not to report any of the real happenings in um yes. she Ibu and Jolene Dar. were keeping everything it's to like, themselves. Now you know what? Let's let's just hold on and let's just watch this because we're not a hundred percent sure about this woman's motive, and it was really hard for her as a red to be in that exactly. position. Uh but it yeah. all stems from a demotion, like, whoa, why did you do such an irrational thing? Mm. It was for something stupid. Also shitty. It was mm. it was nothing to do with Teslin. It was to show the rest of the Red Arger mm. that none of them are above her wrath just because she used to mm. be a red. So she depicted on a good red. Yeah, it was it was like I'm just gonna point one out. Yeah. Yes. And make an example of her. Just picked. And yeah, so happy shit. that she did. Happy that she done that because it set up a massive thing uh, over there. Mm-hmm. And then there's an awesome interaction between Begita, Lan, Elaine, and Nynaeve. So the two warders and the two Aes Sedai. Begita makes a comment and they get glares from the two Aes Sedai, but the glares have zero effect on them. In fact, Begita is grinning and Lan shrugs. <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually, like, uh, Nynaeve and Elaine, they actually give over and they listen to them. <laughs> They're trying to herd them, like you were saying, Vili. And when they shoot glares at them, Begita's like, openly grinning and Lance just shrugging like okay if you want to glare at us glare away uh, while we walk yes <laughs> you can walk and clear um <laughs> elaine and nynaeve again with the gifts like they've got chests full of gifts you know they're racking up dresses. quite a collection no wonder they're into fashion they're getting dresses and jewelry from the panarch of uh, tanchico to now the queen of ibudar um yeah non-stop gift giving and this is 
also pretty funny. Like Avienda's true worry, the thing that at least she's saying to herself and to the reader is her true concern is the fact that she's enjoying all this talk about the silk and the lace and stuff. And that's all the stuff you said, Vilia, about her becoming soft. And that's that's what she's genuinely distressed about. Elaine can sense she's distressed about something and it's about how soft she's becoming. Um, then <laughs> I also chuckled when Avienda calls back to the promise she had made Matt to look after the Aes Sedai, which is funny because Matt had included Avienda in the women that needed protecting. Remember Matt talked to Lan and Birgitta yeah. and said, look after the women. And Avienda goes, sure, I will. <laughs> yeah. He's like, huh? Okay. Um, and she still, she still references it here. Uh, mention here of Sumiko matching the Aes Sedai stair for stair. Again, you know, like there's multiple references in the chapters to come as well. Robert Jordan really establishing in us the sense that Sumiko is not standing down for the Aes Sedai anymore. Um, and that it was actually a conversation that Nynaeve was having with her in the boat at one point that Matt had observed was about Sumiko and the kin having backbone. Like Nynaeve is actively trying to teach the kin to stand up for themselves. Um, which is probably because of her own weird relationship with the Aes Sedai, having originally hated them and then joined their ranks. Um, you know, she's being a wilder and she's also generally just in favor of women being um, powerful and, you know, standing up for themselves. So it makes sense that that would come yep. from Nynaeve. She can't handle all this like fawning and dropping of eyes around the Aes Sedai. She hates it. Um, oh, and then my last note I had already mentioned about Avienda looking up to the wrought iron windows thinking anyone could be watching. Someone is watching. It's not the golem yet. That is it. Those are my notes. We did a thing. We did a podcast. Mm, we did. Now, now I have last now. things to say about that Ooh, very final thoughts. Final notes. wordy chapter. It's um, mm. like, what you said it like what am i supposed to learn out of this chapter and mm. uh maybe a thing to look out for we've got different factions of um uh matriarchal systems that are now with power rules and structure coming into play that have to now start working together and a new mm. point. And they don't gel. They don't. They don't gel. There's conflict no. and all of them, yeah. although some of them always thought they were below, Nynaeve is actively trying to push the kin to elevate them. So now is yeah. this elevation going to cause conflict? But they need all of these channels to yes. be elevated, <laughs> not to be dumbed down. They need to be able. So this is yes. like, yes, we gotta, we've got to make you fight, but therefore you will also infight. So totally damned if you do, damned then, if you don't. It, it's a it's a lose 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 situation because mm. the kin are sort of differential to the Aes Sedai all the time, and Nynaeve hates that. Um, everyone does. The Windfinders are hating on the Aes Sedai. They think that they are like mm. not coming through with the bargain and everything. And then when they shoot daggers at the Aes Sedai, the kin are like, "Hey, don't talk to the Aes Sedai that way." And then the kin are getting their backs up at the Windfinders. And then you know the Aes Sedai are sort of trying to play it cool, but they are it's actually. It's just going to be a it's going to be a here. shit show for the whole book. I can smell it already. I think I've blocked it out <laughs> for, at, for at least the next two chapters, Willie. Really. Strap in because I asked myself the same question after both of these. In both this chapter and the next one, there are little interesting things that happen around the weaving of the gateway and stuff, um, and we get a bit of insight to um, Avienda's state of mind. Um, you, you notice that she's wearing a riding dress. She rides a horse in the coming chapters. Like she is oh, definitely dear. becoming 
wetlanderish. Her fears are somewhat grounded in in reality. Um, but yes, I think there's going to be a lot of the setting up of the relationships between these people because the kin are going to feature for quite a long time. Um, they, you know, they go to Camelin with Elaine and they, they spend time there, like all the way through Crown of Swords and on. Um, the Windfinders, I, I remember the Atha and Mia generally just being sort of like an irritant for the remainder of the story. After they use the Bowl of the Winds, they're just annoying. And it's because of all these bad deals that everyone's made with them. Um, so I don't know necessarily whether that is going to be exciting to read or anything. But um, I think this chapter and the next couple are setting up those relationships. I definitely feel like there's a reason that they tend to be on their boats on the ships in the water. Like, they don't get along well with everyone. Like, they they just no. all about their haggling and their deal. And they sort of get back on the open water where you can take the daddies out and just sail. Because that's where freedom or, is. Or is the converse true? They are bad with other people because they're on the boats so much and spending so, so little time with oh. other, you know, nations and stuff. That's Who knows? chicken egg things. Mm, chicken and egg. <laughs> now, in between all that sort of uh, political shifting and uh, social undertones, and also don't forget meetings in the Black Hills and Varen's badassery in the IL camp outside Kyren, did you guys pick a favorite moment? Sure do. Sure did. I, I just realized that I always ask you if you did. Every single episode, <laughs> 75 episodes, I've asked if you have. And I mean, sometimes you haven't, but you always do when we need to. Yeah, like, have I picked one while I was making notes before this recording? No, Okay, never. okay. I listen to, I, I, I have a conversation and during the podcast recording, something sticks out and I go, yeah. Jody, the, the brief is, summarize your chapters, pick a favorite moment. That's the brief. That's what we got. Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own man. <laughs> also, we've come this far. It seems to work all right. So, Joe, before you forget what it is, can you tell us what your favorite moment that you picked during this recording is? <laughs> I liked meeting uh, Agalmar again. I liked the Black Hills scenario. Yes. I liked getting to know the Borderlanders. Like, oh, he has Candor. Yes, yes Arafel, like people we haven't Tenobia. heard about before. And then the old the old school's back. And oh, Tenobia, she's a Celta <laughs> and she's related to that guy and that girl. Yes. Um, clearly. Yes. So it was cool. Like I like that. How everyone, basically how everyone thinks Celtaeans are, are mm. loco. Yes. And yeah. they are. Yeah. It was very cool. Especially um, Lord Agelmar. Like just how many weapons he has. How he's also just death waiting to be unleashed and how... Um, mm. King Isar and Agalmar are both fans of poetry and stuff. That's really cool shit. Love those shit. whole cool cultural. Love those northern. That, just the borderlanders in general. Very yeah. cool. You said northern. How about you, Vil? Um <laughs> You might have noticed yeah. the uh, complete lack of input when you went through the little breakaway chapter there with Moradin. Um, because mm, that whole okay. chapter is my favorite moment. He's okay. insanity is amazing he has a monologue with himself playing Uh stones and laughing maniacally as the saw drifts through his eyes Mm -hmm. that i'm gonna win because i'm playing against myself it's so fucking good i know what i'm gonna do um (laughs) totally (laughs) beautiful like just 
and it's just like those two it's like i want to say he's rubbing his balls but it's like the the the, 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 the mind traps <laughs> it's like more like truck nuts, truck nuts. yeah it's like oh yeah <laughs> oh man it's it's set and again you don't know who moradin is you don't know at the stage if you're reading it just like this no but this, you do have yeah you 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 know <laughs> <laughs> i do yes with your I, black shadow heart do do remember all of this my Yes, my lord is there. Um, it's fantastic. I just the whole chapter is just so great. <laughs> I loved it. He is an interesting character. He's an interesting mm. cat. I like the sort of wild card. I mean, helping Rand basically kill Samael, right? Like saving mm. Rand's life. The series could have ended at the end of A Crown of Swords as Rand falls to his death in a collapsing building, you know. But here's Moradin mm. saving the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite moment is Varen being an absolute fucking boss. How she manipulated mm-hmm. Amis and Sorolea, her compulsion plan that could result in an Aes Sedai dying and not caring about it, her notebook cipher and just generally what a rogue agent she is, playing it meek but secretly wishing that Catherine would have been killed and her memory of smiling at a man once who seemed to enjoy her smile, who then later tried to kill her with a dagger, but her smile was the last thing he ever saw. <laughs> Great. Now, yeah, that, that was going to be my favorite moment, the whole Varen showing her hand uh-huh. moment. But uh-huh. it, yeah. I knew that's one of you were going to pick it. And secondly, that's what I thought as well. right after <laughs> I that, was I read that little <laughs> section of Morid and I was like, oh, no, this is just oh, too yes, juicy. My dark Lord. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, well, you also hinted at my honorable mention. So pull your nose out of our coats, you summer ham, and be glad we do not choose to take issue with you supporting a usurper on the ambulance seat. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> and then I'll be ending things to Nose in our coats? Summer ham? Like, <laughs> just completely perplexed. Doesn't even recognize that it's supposed to be a metaphorical insult, you know? Like, just so lost. Now, at a last-minute note for something that I'm going to mm. look out and see if it's in the annoyance that there's another uh, option or um, in-character development. Avienda not getting swooped up in dresses and all of that, but this is a tactic of her deliberately in becoming accustomed with Rand's upbringing, the West up. So the Westlander, the Wetlander ways. And she's feeling that she's becoming soft because she's doing it. She's a eel. That's too hard for her to say no. Not too hard for her. She's too hard a person to not be Mm. able to say, I don't wear this dress. I, I mean... The wise ones couldn't fight her almost into out of a cut and saw and into a wise mm. one's dress. To wise one's dress, yeah. Yeah, now she's... So for me, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and look out for, is this her becoming a better wife for Rand? Like, learning his way. I would tweak that theory for myself and not necessarily focus on her being something for Rand, but I think she's trying to get closer to Elaine. Mm. I think she's trying to understand Elaine. Uh, yes. Sort of live herself into how it's going to be with her mm. you know, first sister or eventually sister wife. Mm. Yeah. That's... They are super close. Mm. Yeah, it's, in, in the chapters coming as well, they're always chatting. and they, I mean, in one of the earlier books, they were, every night 
they would stay up talking and tell each other secrets. a secret they'd never mm. told anyone else before. So like they are quite aggressively building a very strong relationship yep. and quite actively working on it. That is where that that little uh, where she blushes is when I think mm-hmm. about these secrets that's coming out and somehow one of them mm-hmm. got to Begita, who also warrior woman sees Avienda mm-hmm. warrior yes. woman recognizes uh-huh. channel a warrior woman that can use the stabby bits very well mm-hmm. and then finding out she likes small kittens fondly little cute meowy purry ones she wants to stroke them and pet them and love them so anyway we'll uh, keep I'll, i'm yeah. definitely keeping an eye on that now we've got one listener favorite moment from someone mm. that was called out explicitly mm-hmm. on this podcast was i by jody <laughs> so from number one fan adrian on her triumphant return her favorite moment is Varen's reveal that she has a list of what shames wetlanders most to give to sorrelia when they are alone Oh, she is tricksy, she is. <laughs> but that is cool. Like, Varen, like, ready to, like, hand over, dish the dirt. Yes, sorry, yeah, yeah, take this list. This, this, this is really what's going to shame them. Um, which is just, again, we ask the Varen, Varen and the her game. list say. I love the list. How does Varen get in, like, to get questioning? Because she's got little lists and she's got little things. And this will help you and yeah. you will help me. Therefore, it will work. Mm-hmm. You won't even know that you're helping me. I'm just going to butter you up, much like I rub butter all over myself. Here's some <laughs> butter for you. <laughs> That's how she slips through all of the gaps. She's all butter. <laughs> Physically yeah. slipping through. Um, Adrian had two honorable mentions as well. Uh, the first being my girl, Tenobia, quote unquote, arranging Ethaniel's marriage to Tenobia's uncle, who just happened to be there right under her nose, the little strategist. Uh, but if I recall correctly, she did end up marrying him. So like you said, Joe, thanks to a, uh, mm. a, a listener writing in, Adrian, uh, we know that, yes, Ethaniel does, in fact, marry Tenobia's uncle that she brought to the meeting. And then Adrian's last honorable mention is Avienda's feelings for Olver, which she found really poignant, which is true. Mm. So to our listeners, send in your poignant moments, your favorites, your shower thoughts, your theories, your corrections for all the mistakes we've made. And please, for the love of God, answers to the many, many questions that we ask. Uh, you can do that by tweeting us at Blood and Ash Pod or visiting our website, at which is www.bloodandashespodcast.com. Uh, there you can find all kinds of things like a link to our store where you can buy some t-shirts. You can leave a voice note, which we could play on the show, which I encourage everyone to do because that's always fun. Um, and you can also find in the episode description below links to our Discord and other social media channels where you can reach us. Once you've done all of that, <laughs> you can read and prepare for our next episode of the podcast. So next time on Blood and Ashes, we will cover chapter two through to the end of chapter five. <laughs> Jody's taking a very long time to count a very small number of fingers. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't start at one. You started at two and it threw me off. <laughs> yeah, that's four chapters. Chapter two is called Unweaving. Then it's A Pleasant Ride. Then A Quiet Place. And chapter five is The Breaking Storm. Hopefully we finally see the storm of Nynaeve's breaking. But until we do that, I will say unto thee, sleep well and wake. Until the storm. Until the storm. <laughs>